When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Show of the week. You know what that means. Uh, that means for this hour, you get to ask questions on any subject you like. Uh, 800-848-9222. Get them while the going's good. Still have two open lines for... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. That's right. Whatever you have questions about, any subject, film, television, radio, the business of radio, uh, national politics, foreign policy, international affairs, books, you name it. Uh, I am prepared to do my best in answering it. You have questions about my personal history, which I'm so often tight-lipped about. Now's the time to ask them. And if you have questions about uh, hypothetical questions, we we occasionally get some good hypothetical questions. You can go ahead and uh, call in at 800-848-9222. I, I regret to inform you, though, that no matter how good the questions are this hour... You will. We are not going to be able to give out a prize. Now, why? I'll tell you who I blame for this. I blame the three knuckleheads that we have mistakenly tasked with choosing the best question each week. Because what they have done for easily three out of the last four weeks is they have picked as the best question some bizarre sex question, and that wasn't even a creative question. It was more a a question that was chosen for shock value, and I still would always do my best to try and answer the the question. So, um, and, you know, these guys, you know, it's like they they giggle like seventh graders in a treehouse when when somebody mentions the word erection and forget about it, they they just lose all control, Ooh, yeah. and they always pick that as the best question, whatever it is, even when it's clearly not the best question. So last week, I guarantee you what happened is somebody called and complained about whoever won the the best question, and uh, there was a big investigation internally. What was the question that uh, that the guy won the hat for? And then all of a sudden. When that question was uh, when 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 that question was answered internally, they said, "Well, you know, we're not doing the promo for Ask Frank Anything anymore. Please hold off on giving any hats away." So, uh, meanwhile, just the week before, I said to management, "You know, I really need the flexibility to be able to give away a hat whenever whenever I need to," and they there was no objection raised to that. But then all of a sudden, after the third uh, the third week of 
Plato's interrogative retreat led by Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and Alex <laughs> Barnard, then all of a sudden they said, oh, no, 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 we're not running that promo anymore. We, you know, cool your jets. Don't give anything away. So we have a, a post-show meeting today that I am going to try to raise this again. But I guess, so we have no prize to give you if you come up with the best question. We'll give you a giant case of satisfaction. And what we'll do if you want is at the top of the next hour, you can have the opportunity to ask another question if you want. We'll give you that option. So that's that. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Rob on Long Island. Hello, Rob. Hey, how you doing? I'm right. well, thanks. Good. So when are you going to bring on a his brother? You know, uh, my brother Nick, uh, he calls himself a Marxist. I don't know that he goes so far as to no, call... No, 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 He's a communist. All He's right. Well, communist. do you know Nick? Absolutely. I know you too. Oh. Where where do I know I you from? I met you personally. Well, I, I, I lived on Long Island, but now I... I mean, I lived in Staten Island, but now I live on Long Island. All right. So well, when is he coming on so we can assault him with some real questions? <laughs> well, look, and, I, you, and, and, and don't, 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 please don't defend or guide or deflect. Well, I'm not because guiding wanna, or deflecting. He's got an open invitation. Well, you've done that. You've done that. You've done it in the past. Well, please. when did I do it? Well, I asked you one time before because I, I told you I was very surprised at you because you were actually defending that we shouldn't send any money or arms. To, to Ukraine. Oh, oh right, I remember you. Actually you took a picture. You actually took a picture with the Blasio. That's right. For your own thing. So, all right. I so would take a picture clean. with whomever be the mayor man, was. Be a man. Be a man. Come clean and 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 do it. Because I'm I'm from the streets of Staten Island. I can tell, Rob. Uh, so, Rob, old uh, school, Nick, old school. Uh, all right, Rob. Come on. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Nicholas is welcome to come on the show whenever he wants. I've invited him on this show many times. And uh, he has said each and every time that I've invited him on, and I can't really argue with this, that he has a pretty standard nine to five job. He's got to get up around 7 a.m. And he doesn't really he sleeps at this time. I can't really take issue with that. So uh, but if he ever look, Nick would welcome the uh, the uh, uh, engagement. You know, I don't like to fight with people. Nick loves to argue with people. And, you know, he's the first to tell you that he's a scientist and a Ph.D. He has the most advanced degrees of anyone in the Morano family. So uh, Nicholas would be uh, I, I think he'd be a great sparring partner. So he's got an open invitation. I just texted him, Rob. In the hopes that uh, maybe we can pick a date, but I get where he's coming from. He's up uh, at, at seven a.m. every day. He doesn't want to be fighting with you on the radio at two a.m. So eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Let me say hello to Sean in Brooklyn. Hello, Sean. Good morning, sir. You're the best. Oh, thanks. I'll no accounting for you. taste, I guess. I love you. You need to be on TV. No, so, no, please. I'll make, I'll make my point. This is the Mrs. Holkle believe listen to how actually believes the things that comes out of her mouth does she realize she wasn't voted into office does she actually realize i don't think she does well obviously she Sean, prances around she prances around like she was voted in well no I, one would have voted for her in a million years all right well i don't know that you need me to answer much of the question there sean but obviously i can't um speak to what's in someone else's brain what? My, my read on uh, Governor Hochul is that she really wants to continue being governor and she is willing to say or do anything 
that she perceives uh, that will make that happen. Now, most of that um, for from her tenure as governor, ha- tenure as governor, has taken the form of not taking a position on anything. Are you for this? Are you for that? Well, we'll see. Uh, but some of that is essentially buying voters off with their own tax money, uh, like with this slush fund to fund different projects in places like Long Island. And some of it is making uh, deals with campaign contributors so that they get rich while she gets uh, very lavish campaign contributions. So um, as far as what she if she believes what she says, I can't say that. I think my read on her is she will say or do anything in order to get elected governor. And uh, you're always able to justify it to yourself in your own brain in the hopes that uh, you can, once you're elected, then you can really make change. 800-848-9222. Dave is in the Bronx. Hello, Dave. Hey, good morning, Frank. Here's a question for you. Have you ever been, to your knowledge, the victim of a smear campaign or a whispering campaign by someone who was either professionally or personally jealous? Yeah, well, uh, Mark Simone uh, does that to me on a regular basis. He, uh, Any room that Mark Simone is in, that I'm in, you can bet that whatever he's talking about is me, and it's some sort of uh, besmirchment of my reputation. So that's the, the, the most obvious example that comes to mind. But, uh, but yes, I'm sure there have been other examples as well. Oh, okay. Thanks, Frank. Thank you, Dave. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Pete in Piscataway. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Frank, do you have a, do you have a favorite three uh, Columbo episodes? Ooh, um, yes. Uh, well, so my favorite Columbo episode is the one where uh, Johnny Cash is the villain. Um, that, that's that's my favorite, and I love the song that he sings at the end of that, and I love the way Peter Falk looks at the camera afterwards, and uh, well, looks at Johnny Cash afterwards, and he says something like, "Anybody that sings like that can't be all bad." My problem, and I haven't seen the uh, I haven't seen the Columbo episodes in a while, but my problem is sometimes I conflate the M- M- Columbo made-for-TV movies with the television series. So sometimes I'll think someone was part of the television series when they were actually part of the made-for-TV movies. But there's one, and I'm obviously the one that I'm thinking, I don't remember if it was a made-for-TV movie or if it was a, um, a, a episode of the series. But one, obviously, as you might expect, is where William Shatner is the villain. I absolutely love that one. And then uh, there's one with Martin Sheen that I really enjoyed. I'd say those are my top three if I had to pick. How about the Dick Van Dyke one and the Robert Conrad one? Those are pretty good, too. You know, I remember the Dick Van Dyke one. I don't remember the Robert Conrad one. Give me a little bit of the story. Uh, He's a a gym owner that kills his partner. And uh, that's the one where Clubble actually gets into arguing with him at the hospital while he's smoking a cigar. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't remember that. I have to rewatch some of these episodes, you know, and thank you. I was watching the New York State Controller debate the other day, and they asked both of the candidates one of these lightning round questions. You know what I was thinking, by the way? I might do a whole show just by asking lightning round questions of either guests in studio or, or callers, and we'll, we'll see what, what develops. But they asked both candidates for New York State Controller, including my, my buddy Tom DiNapoli, who I'm strongly supporting, I uh, they asked what TV shows have you binged during the pandemic or what was the last TV show you binged and Tom DiNapoli said Columbo reruns and it's funny that you bring that up Pete 
I don't know if you saw the same debate, but it's funny that you bring that up because when he said that, all I thought was, gee, you know, I haven't seen Columbo in a while. I got to give a watch to some of those old episodes. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Mark is in Garden City. Hello, Mark. How's it going, Frank? It's going okay. Thank you. Good. Frank, I wanted to ask you, um, regarding Bernie McGurk, you know, I've been hearing that Bernie, and you know, he was such a smart guy. We all know that. He was a very, very sharp guy. Uh, that he never had gone for a PSA test. Is that true? I don't know, uh, honestly, but I know that he was uh, he was not w- big on going to the uh, the doctor. And I was just mm-hmm. talking about this with uh, a former coworker of ours, and she said that um, whenever she would tell him, and I think his wife used to tell him the same thing. But whenever whenever she would tell him, you know, you should go to the doctor, you should get a physical, you should get a, che- a checkup. Bernie always took the attitude was, no, 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 those doctors create more problems, um, create more problems. They always find something wrong with you, even if there there isn't. And, you know, it's funny. I um, And look, I don't want to get into a situation where it sounds like I'm casting blame on Bernard McGurk for, you know, his own death. But of course, um, I knew that Bernie had one sister that uh, that had died from cancer. I did not know that he had two sisters who had cancer. So clearly there was a very strong genetic predisposition in his family f- towards cancer. And if if he knew that, which obviously he had to, right. if he knew that and, and didn't get regular PSA tests, I have to tell you, even though, you know, I love him and I miss him, I'm really angry with him uh, because yeah. uh, not only did he deprive uh, our radio station of a great talent and a lot of us that knew him of a great friend, but, you know, his first grandchild is going to be born in February. And I, when mm-hmm. I when I met his son for the first time at the wake, uh, his son, Brendan, I could see how sad his son was that yeah. his father was not going to be around to greet uh, to greet their child in February. And um, why? Why? I, I mean, and it really yeah. uh, it really causes you to take stock of an inventory of your own health. But I, I but I don't know if Bernie went for regular PSA tests, but everything that I've heard, you know, he didn't discuss his medical history with me. Uh, if right. it did, it was his medical history when he was a child. For instance, he told me he didn't get circumcised until I think he was about eight or nine years old. And he said <laughs> it was the most painful experience he ever had. And he still can to this day uh, remember the pain of walking home three days after that circumcision. But um, if he if he didn't, then I'm really uh, and again I hate to be angry with him, but I'm very angry with him, honestly. Frank, Frank, do you know what kind of treatment he wound up getting once he realized he was sick? Do you have any idea? I, I don't really. You know, um, he and I would text uh, fairly regularly, but I didn't get the sense that it was anything that he wanted to talk about. I know he was on, um, you know, he was getting chemotherapy, but I don't know if that was in addition to uh, radiation or seeds or anything like that. Do you know where he was treated? I think it was uh, at Sloan Kettering. I see. I see. Well, thank you, Frank. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Larry is on Long Island. Hello, Larry. Hey, Frank. Hey. Uh, Simple question. Secretly, that only you know about this, is there somebody in your immediate family who you don't like? It's just between you and you. Nobody else would know about it. You show no signs of disliking this person. Is there anybody? 
No, uh, no, honestly, and I, I would tell you, uh, certainly not my immediate family. Were you talking siblings and parents? No, I, I uh, not only do I get along w- with everybody, but, uh, you know, but I, but I love them, and I think we're a very close family. I'm trying to think, uh, certainly all three of my first cousins, we have a great relationship. Um, all of my second cousins, we have a very good relationship. A couple of second cousins I have, I just don't see as as much because they live somewhere else, and I, I maybe don't know them as well. And uh, I, you know, I have two brothers in law that uh, I don't necessarily see that often. One because he lives in California. And uh, one, just because he doesn't make uh, visiting Staten Island much of a priority. Uh, So I would say I'm not exceptionally close with them, but I I bear them no ill will. I I like them both very much. No, there's nobody in my family, either either biologically or even married in that uh, that I dislike. And and honestly, Larry, I I was listening to your question. I was trying to think in general of just people in my everyday life, either work life or just uh, common acquaintances that I dislike. I really don't dislike many people. Honestly, I always uh, I'm somebody that tries to get along with everybody, but I appreciate the question. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Eric in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. Hey, Frank. Um, for the first time, I think Chandler was in like at least three Columbos. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I, I'm trying <laughs> to remember. So the one that I'm thinking of that I really enjoyed had to do with mobile phone reception, and they were able to solve the crime because uh, because <laughs> Shatner claimed to have made a phone call, and Columbo found that in that area where Shatner's character lived, there was there no, was service, no phone yeah. service. So that's the episode or the film that I'm thinking of. I, I think he was a radio guy, radio personality yes, now. Yes, ironically, he was. Right? He was. But That's no, why I best, like it. Off the top of my head, I, I, don't, I can only remember because Shadow's performance and he was a murder mystery writer. And so he was the most, oh, you know, superior and helpful, helpful in quotes to, to, um, to Peter Falk. But anyway, I don't want to get off the subject. I'm sorry. I, I, my question is about, that feels silly. It's about pet insurance. Pet insurance, you said? Yeah, for the, the cats. Like, yeah. I have one cat. I should have mm-hmm. done it years ago. And, I feel silly asking you, but you're the only person I know who really like. If you could point me in direction, I I won't keep take your time, you know. Or uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, so do you? you I, do you have pet insurance for your cat? No, I want. I I need. I need just to point me to what's a good company, reasonable price. I don't know. I feel well, silly well, so I, I want. <laughs> I'd like to uh, double check with my wife uh, because she she you know handles all that. She pays the bills. But uh, I think the uh, I think there are a couple of very good ones. Hey, do you email Eric? Yes. Yes. yes so do. if you email me um, uh, today, later today, or or tomorrow, I will uh, I will get you th- who we use. I think it might be Healthy Paws might be the pet insurance that we use. But if you if you email me, I will uh, I will tell you who we use, and uh, we're very we're very happy with it. Uh, only two of our cats are yeah, covered, saying, yeah. but uh, mm-hmm. but it saved us thousands of dollars, thousands. Yeah, so, yeah. and friends young, of mine. She deserves that. Yeah, I've been wanting to do it for years and years, but <laughs> yeah, don't wait because if you wait till they're too yeah, old, yeah. then they then they won't cover them. So um, email well, you me it again last night. I had the call. So yeah, the email call. E- email me today, and uh, I'll okay. uh, I'll I'll get the information from my wife. All right. Okay, thanks, thanks a lot. Eric. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We're going to continue with Ask Frank Anything. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We are taking your questions on any subject. And uh, if you want to call in, you could do so at 800-848-9222, as we do. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Now, normally we give away a prize for the most interesting and most creative question, but management has put the brakes on that. But I just got an SMS text message here. From a frequent guest and contributor to this show, Obi Murray, and he said, um, "What if I? What, what if I? Meaning, what if he? What if I pay for a hat? Can I vote too and veto if the guys are crazy with the question?" Um, I think that's okay, right? If you're going to send them the hat, Obi, I think that's uh, I think that's fine. So we will let you be part of this uh, collaboration with Alex Barnard and. Uh, Matt Blaze and Kenneth. So, and if there's a consensus, if there's a if there's a deadlock because it's uh, it, it's an even number, then I will be the the tiebreaker. So, yeah, I would uh, I would call in around you know five minutes until the top of the hour, and then you could correspond with these guys if you're willing to pay, right? So I, I don't have an that, issue. That's with that. not what he said. He said if he pays for the hat and he doesn't like. What the question that we pick? Can he veto? No, no, no. Well, he, it's a twofold thing, right? It says, "What if I pay for the for a hat? Can I vote too?" Oh. And then the next question is, "And veto if the guys are crazy with their question." So, um, you know, I'll let you guys work it out, right? So, uh, I know Obi certainly has Alex Barnard's telephone number. Feel free to use it liberally. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Well, I can't guarantee you'll get a prize. We're working on getting you a prize, but there is one open line. What I can guarantee you is an opportunity to ask a second question at the top of next hour, if you want. Okay, Danny is on Long Island. Hello, Danny. Hey, Danny from Comac. Hey, Danny, how are you? So my question is, I, I have two uh, twofold. Number one is, um, what was the name of the horse? That they cut the head off in The Godfather. Cartoon. And number two. Oh, very good. Number two is when are you going to finally admit that you're a left winger? I admit it all the time. I am a left winger. I can't believe it, that Casamitidis keeps you on the air. Hey, neither can I, Danny. Believe me, I count my lucky stars. I mean, I'm a left winger, but I also voted for Donald Trump twice, right? So I don't know that those neatly fall into two uh, two boxes. I'm a left winger. Because I believe that the the interests of working class Americans should take precedence over the interest of people in other countries. So that used to be a very left wing position until Donald Trump started advocating for it, until he started advocating for things like fair trade instead of free trade and not allowing um, reckless immigration policies to have cheap labor come into the country and and uh, compete with Americans for uh, for jobs, you know, um, and push down the cost, the uh, the the value of what Americans make. Um, so, you know, I don't even like those labels, right? The only label I'm really comfortable with is independent. But I think if you go down the list of issues on the, I don't even know what's left wing and what's right wing anymore. I think Trump kind of upended that whole thing. But if you go down the typical list of issues, 
I tend to fall on the left on issue after issue. But I much prefer to talk about things other than politics. There's so much political talk radio. It's much harder uh, to find Interesting talk radio that involves compelling storytelling and things of that nature. But look, all my uh, campaign contributions are public record. You can see who I've contributed to on a municipal level, on a statewide level, on a national level. And you make your own judgments about uh, where I fall on the political spectrum. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Joe in Poughkeepsie. Hello, Joe. Hi. I... uh... It have heard recently on the radio that that the uh, media is one of the biggest threats to democracy. And, you know, in Great Britain, if you you have a false story, I understand the media can be sued. And I'm just wondering, you know, with if the Republicans take the House and the Senate and some of the uh, uh, stories that they might or, or some of the investigations they might be able to do about like January 6th or the 2000 election, whatever, you think there's a possibility that uh, we we might wind up with legislation that that could uh, emulate the British model where if if people are putting out just just terrible lies on the, on the media or, you know, spinning so so badly that uh, our our democracy could be strengthened. I was I was wondering your thoughts on that. Well, look, I think uh, we're in sort of a different ball game because of the First Amendment. Uh, they don't have a uh, constitutionally protected right to freedom of the press in or freedom of speech in the UK. So I think it would be t- much tougher. If it gets to the point of, um, and thank you for the call, Joe, if it gets to the point of outright defamation or slander, then there is uh, an opportunity for action. The the Sarah Palin New York Times case is actually potentially a case that could set a precedent for changing some of the laws re- related to libel because it's been the case for the last 40, 50 years or so that if you're a public figure, any sort of a public figure, that you can be sued, that it's very difficult for you to sue a media outlet for saying something bad about you. But if this Sarah Palin New York Times case makes it all the way up to the Supreme Court, that could change. So I think the path, if you're looking to do that, uh, sue the press for saying untrue things, I think the path to doing that is this Palin case and the appellate process of the Palin case. It's not necessarily the um, it's not necessarily the legislative route. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Igor in Fairfield. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. Uh, so I was having some conversation with some coworkers of mine uh, this past week, and they were talking about getting tattoos, and, and I joked with them that I wouldn't—I I would never think of getting some of the stuff they were mentioning. And one of the guys said, "You got to do something. You got to get a tattoo of something you're passionate about." And they know I listen to the show, and they said, "How about a tattoo of that guy on the radio show you like?" Now I'm not sort of a tattoo sort of guy, Frank, but um, so I asked the question on behalf of, of other listeners who might be. So, so would you have any comment or advice or be flattered if one of your listeners got a tattoo with your likeness? Uh, and I'm thinking something like uh, something like the Richard T- Nixon tattoo that your buddy Roger Stone has across the back. And, and a follow-up, uh, should you advise in the, in the affirmative on that? And I, I would assume you would. Absolutely, uh, yes. Do you, the, do you think the upper back is the best place, or is there another uh, body part? is better suited to hosting a, a Frank Morano. Um, well, uh, first of all, yes, I, I'm all for people getting uh, this show, including the time that it's on in the station, 
uh, tattooed on them. Everybody should get that, as far as I'm concerned. As far as where the tattoo goes, it really depends on the body type of the person. Like, for instance, if you're if uh, somebody's a very muscular guy and they uh, spend a lot of time hanging out at the beach all the time and they have a very uh, chiseled physique, then I think the upper back where Stone has it is is great. But if you're someone that never takes your shirt off, I don't know what good that that tattoo necessarily does me. Maybe then the forearm is a better spot uh, is a better spot for it. If you're a uh, very relu- voluptuous young woman, then I would say maybe the uh, the lower part of your back, especially if you're known for wearing, um, you know, kind of low uh, crop tops and things of that nature, that's probably a good spot for it. But I love the thought, Igor. I'm all for it. <laughs> very good, Mike. Thanks, well. Igor. Appreciate the thought. Chris is in Beth Page. Hello, Chris. Frank, uh, twofold. Uh, number one, who would be a good co-host with Sid? Because I think eventually they're going to do that. Who who would you like to see? Because me personally, I think Lydia Serrano would be great with Sid. Uh, that's number one. And number two is you piqued my interest. What's the problem with you and Mark Simone? You know, I, I, I've answered the Mark Simone uh, question so many times. I have no idea what his problem is with me. I don't have a problem with Mark. I like Mark. I think he's a real great radio talent. But for whatever reason... For about the last 15 years, he badmouths me all over the place. I've tried to talk with him about it a number of times. Every time I've seen him, he walks away from me or he'll give me an upward nod and walk away from me. So at some point, you know, I just gave up and I figure people believe the things that he says about me. God bless him. But um, as far as a co-host for Sid, you know, a couple of people have asked me that. I... uh, I I don't know if people realize how difficult it is to come up with a compelling radio partnership. It takes years to build the kind of chemistry and the kind of camaraderie that Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg had or any radio partnership. You want to talk about um, Mike and the Mad Dog. You want to talk about uh, Scott uh, Scott Shannon and uh, Todd Pettengill. Uh, you want to talk about uh, Bob and Ray back in the old days. Any radio partnership, John, John Gambling and his father, it takes a long time. It's not as if you can just snap your fingers and say, oh, let's put uh, Frank Morano in there or so-and-so. I think Sid uh, clearly has earned the opportunity to do this show on his own. The fact that um, he's largely been doing this show on his own for the last several months, sometimes not even knowing until that morning if he was going to if he was going to have a partner that day, and the fact that he's able to be cool, calm, and collected, entertaining, and informative is um, you know is great. And Sid is a good enough talk show host to um, know what his strengths are. And I've noticed that when he's hosting the show solo, as opposed to when he was with Bernie, he has a lot more guests on who may not be, who are experts in subjects that he may not be an expert on. So I think the opportunity would, I think Sid is definitely deserve, uh, deserving of the opportunity to host the show solo and uh, be given a lot of leeway to see how it works out. And we've seen many instances of radio partnerships then resulting in a solo radio show, and the solo show does very well. The best example is Mike Francesa. He was number one with um, with Chris Russo for many years in New York, then did a solo show, was number one on the solo show. If you look at the world of television, the same thing happened with Hannity and Combs. They were number one, 
And then uh, Hannity went solo and did a very different type of show. He still is number one. So I think in my view, uh, Sid has absolutely earned the right to do the show solo. But even if he hadn't uh, earned the right, it's not as if you can just say, oh, let's pick this person and plop them in there. It takes years, years of of an on-air partnership and a behind-the-scenes relationship before you ever get to the point where you can have a really compelling radio show. So I don't think you could say, oh, this person would be good, that person would be good. If they did choose to go in that direction, I think the best thing, and I've seen this with other shows, is you try out a bunch of different people and see how that goes. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Sid's an expert at pretending to be a conservative, and, and that guy, Mark Simone, is he's a weird dude. That's What's your question, Steve? What's your question? Uh, my, my question is, right, you ready for this? We're turning America into a tent city for third world is, go, be can go, 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 be can go, 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 be can go, go, go. Go, go, Buchanan, go. Steve, is there a question? You didn't even lift your voice up at the end of it as if you're making a statement and then to say, go, Buchanan, go? Like, so, I mean, try and at least come up with, be a little creative. Come up with a question. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Dylan in Ontario has been waiting a while. Hello, Dylan. Hey, how's it going, my friend? I think it's going okay. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. What's your question, Dylan? I actually have two questions. First question is, have you ever watched the TV show Flying Rhino Junior High? I have not seen it. I am not familiar with it. Uh, It's a good cartoon. I recommend you check it out. It's on Tubi if you have Tubi. I think I do have Tubi, but uh, what was your second question? Okay, the second question is, did you get a chance to figure out to see if uh, the store can ship to Canada for 77 WABC because I want to buy some of your merch. And I know another listener wanted to buy some of your merch, Gordon from Ontario. Uh, and I know he wanted to buy some merch, but the store doesn't ship to yeah, Canada. I, I mean, that was news to me that we don't ship to Canada. Uh, Matt, would you put that on the list for our uh, meeting today to inquire as to that? All right. So we will work on getting an answer um, at our post-show meeting today, Dylan. I didn't know that we didn't ship to Canada. I was surprised to learn that, if that's the case. 800-848-9222. I don't think that is the case, though, because we've shipped to Canada before. I don't think that's the case. All right. Um, Carrie is in Queens. Hello, Carrie. Hi, Hi, Frank. Yeah, I wanted to know, um, I I really like your show, so you have to tell me. Thank you, thank you. I just wanted to know what your favorite foods are, you know, the different food groups, like fruits, vegetables, bread, cereals. Uh, For example, what's your favorite food and vegetable? In in my favorite, well, you know, I have a lot of different uh, foods. If I have to pick one, one food... And in the wide variety of ways that it's prepared, it would be eggs. Eggs are my are probably hey. my favorite food. Uh, in terms of um, each of the categories that you uh, that you mentioned, in terms of vegetables, I really like broccoli rabe. I also really like spinach in all its forms. I don't know that there's been a, a, a version of spinach, be it steamed, sautéed, creamed, you name it, that I haven't really enjoyed. Um, those are probably my two favorite vegetables. As far as, um, as far as fruit goes, it kind of depends on, 
the uh, the circumstances and how I'm enjoying it. But um, if if uh, I really like just an apple, if, I'm, if I want a quick snack, it, for something that I'm throwing in a smoothie, I like a banana. And if it's something that, um, that somebody else is doing the legwork in cutting for me, then I'll go with some melon. I like some cantaloupe or some honeydew. Can't go wrong with those, especially if it's during the summer. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. John in Brooklyn has been holding a while. Hello, John. Hello, Frank. I have several guest suggestions. But first, let me ask you, are you really going to try and get Gary Kasparov? Yeah, if you know of a way to get in touch with him, uh, John, I'd be happy to have him on. I mean, I don't. I already sent you the information. But um, here here are my guest suggestions, and, and one of them, actually, I'm inspired by John Gambling. Uh, how, about Brady, how about Brian Lehrer? Yeah, I, well, I think he's on a competing radio station, so I don't know that he could uh, come on with me, but uh, certainly he's but, a bright guy. I'd be happy to have him. I mean, he would be a good idea, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll leave with two actresses, uh, Kate Bokuru, Admiral Janeway herself. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've interviewed Kate Mulgrew. She was a really interesting interview, and uh, I'd be happy to have her back. You know, it's tough to get these people, John. It's basically kind of just me booking the guests really by myself. We have a young woman named Jennifer that helps when she can, but she kind of books guests for all the shows. So it's really just me doing this uh, all on my own in addition to preparing for the show. Who was your other suggestion? And this is in honor of Alex Bernard, since they're fellow alumni of the same college in Pekiski. Porkipski, New York. Um, my fellow high school alumnus, actress Angela Goldfold. Uh, you know, I'm not familiar with him, John, but thank you. Um, so, yeah, be uh, you know, again, if I could say yes to Kate Mulgrew or to Gary Kasparov, I'd be happy to have them. But uh, it's doing the legwork and tracking some of these people down that can become a little bit of a challenge. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yes, yes Frank. Hi, Tom. I'd like to say I don't know whether you ever saw an animation yes. by uh, Popeye that when he gets his salary, yes. goes into a pet store, buys all the animals, the dogs, the cats, and just lets them run out in the street. Is there a question? Here? And then later he regrets doing that. And he and uh, he gets after he eats a can of spinach. He gets all the animals back in the pet store. He finds one dog uh, hungry and miserable, a puppy, and it's a very heart wrenching uh, animation. Tom, I don't I know that there's Curtis much. Curtis Lee, we should see that one. Uh, agreed. Curtis should see a lot of things. Yeah. I, I don't also, know. Um, go ahead. Also, there's another animation where there's a maniacal character in the cosmos of some some, uh, world, and uh, he's threatening this world. And then when it turns around, they show you his his world— and everybody's a lunkhead in his world. Right. Is that Marvin the Martian? He's the, the only Martian? monster there. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, Tom, I'm not really sure what your question is. I guess if it's have I seen those. The latter, I don't remember that Popeye cartoon. It's possible that I saw it when I was a tyke. Uh, but uh, that the latter description sounds a lot like Marvin the Martian. I've seen a lot of Marvin the Martian, but I don't remember that specific uh, anecdote. Although it sounds like a lot of the different... Marvin the Martian uh, cartoons over the years. That was exhausting. 
Felt like I spent an hour on that one. 800-848-9222. If you have an interesting question, a creative question, um, and then, you know, I can't promise you that we'll give you a prize, but at least you'll have a giant case of satisfaction. We, Obi Murray says he's going to get a prize for the winner, so we'll see. I don't, I don't know how this prize selection process is going to work, but we'll do the best we can. Let me say hello to Mark in Baltimore. Hello, Mark. Good morning, sir. How you doing, Frank? I'm great, Mark. What's going on? I got a problem with the, the government and their spending as far as these schools, because I'm, I'm an armed guard. I work late at night, and the school that we're working on, well, they're working on, they're, they got two big AC units on the roof that are not being used. They're less than two years old. Instead of them taking that and putting it somewhere where another school could use it, they crush it. Yeah, so I'm not, I, I'm not, I mean, that sounds terrible, Mark, but I'm not really sure of what your question is. No, my question is, it's not a question. It's just, I'm just telling you what I know. Mm-hmm. It's just a shame how they waste money like that. I would agree with you. I would agree with you, Mark. That is a shame. And and, if, for, and I know we have a lot of new listeners, and I don't blame Mark. Um, I really blame Kenneth. But when you call during this hour, right, this is the one hour of the week where the thing that we're looking for is questions. You can ask questions about anything you want, but we're looking for questions. The rest of the three hours, you can call in and give your opinion. Um, the rest of the four hours, every every other day, call in, give your opinion, make your comments about whatever you want. This is the one hour of the show where it's ask Frank anything. That's the, the operative part of the motto there, ask. 800-848-9222. We'll continue. There's two open lines if you want to call in with a question. You can call in 800-848-9222 straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Presley singing Are You Lonesome Tonight. Uh, 800-848-9222. Taking your questions on any subject as we do for the final program of the week. As we do... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Whatever your questions, now is the time. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Mike in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Hi, Frank. Two quick ones. Do you believe that Scott Shannon was aware that WPLJ would be sold before he left Todd Pettengale? And another radio one in your heyday of producing, would you accept the producer job of the Howard Stern Show uh, and endure the ridicule that Gary Delavante took. 
Uh, I would say uh, no. I don't think Scott Shannon was aware that PLJ was going to be sold before he left. And uh, and two, yes, of course, absolutely. I would uh, happily have produced the Howard Stern show. I don't think I could have done nearly as good of a job as uh, as Gary Delabate does. But uh, if given the opportunity, even to be a um, you know kind of an associate producer, a little lower on that ladder, I would have been happy to. It's uh, uh, one of the greatest shows, if not the greatest radio show of all time. Would have been happy to be associated with that. That. Absolutely. 1-800-848-9222. Boris is in Queens. Hello, Boris. Yeah, hi, Frank. Two questions. One, if you know those teenagers were captured who struck police in Brighton Beach. Um, wh- that struck who in Brighton Beach? Uh, police officer, retired police officer. Oh, were they captured? Was that your question? Uh, yeah, this first question. Um, I, I, I don't know, if the, meaning if there was an arrest made. Right, right. Um, no, I don't think I, not, not that I'd heard, but no, I, I'm not certain. Uh, second question is, um, you always bring some kind of, uh, insider, uh, whistleblower for religious Jewish uh, community. Why you never bring any, uh, whistleblower for another religious community, like Muslims, uh, Catholics? Well, I'd be happy to. If you have a, a suggestion of somebody specific, um, you know, the, if there's a, a, you know, a series of Catholic schools that are not educating children or a series of madrasas that aren't educating children, I'd be happy to highlight that. If you know of anyone specific, uh, please uh, reach out to me via email or you could text me at 816-8-MORANO. I am uh, not looking to pick on Orthodox Jews at all. So, no, I'd be happy to if you know of someone in one of those other spheres as well. Uh, And, by the way, what we're going to do next week is have someone who disagrees with Julie Globus, who was on this week, to give an alternative view. And then the following week, we're going to hopefully have both of them together and have a really good discussion about it. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Eddie in Babylon. Hello, Eddie. Hi, Frank. I want to tell you, it was great to see you at the Columbus Day Parade. Thanks. (laughs) I think you're broadcasting. I I met John Katz. And it it sounds, my question, is it like me, that I was brought up like Joe Piscopo, a blue dog Democrat, uh, you know, blue collar, working class and everything. And uh, my parents would cross the line to vote for someone that they knew from the other side, from like the Republican side, who my, my father always said, those are the rich people. Uh, did 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 the parties like did they flip flop over? What do you think? And you said you voted for Donald Trump twice. I yeah. I mean, look, I, I think not... they've I think they've changed in some areas and not changed in others. For instance, twenty years ago, the party that was against um, endless war in the Middle East or wherever it happened was the Democrats. These days, right. I think the Republicans are more likely to be the party that's against uh, these never-ending wars. You know, when it came to right. when it comes to fair trade instead of free trade, it was the Democrats largely that opposed, except for Bill Clinton who opposed the uh, efforts of NAFTA and CAFTA and GATT and WTO. Um, now it's Trump's Republican Party that uh, that does that. When it came to opposing things like warrantless wiretapping during the Bush administration and the overuse of the Patriot Act and the uh, kind of the fetishization of the police state, it was always the Democrats that were the ones that were, uh, that were great. These days, the only people talking about that, at least publicly that I hear, with very few exceptions, some people are 
consistent, folks like Alan Dershowitz, Glenn Greenwald, Matt Saibi, mm-hmm. Caitlin Johnstone, uh, right. a few others. The, the only folks really making an issue of uh, government overreach when it comes to the criminal justice system are the, uh, are the Republicans. So I think in some respects they have changed, in others they haven't. I mean, 35, 40 years ago, the Democrats were pro-choice. They remain pro-choice. Uh, these days I think they've actually gotten more pro-choice and the Republicans have gotten more pro-life. Try and get nominated for anything today as a pro-choice Republican. It's tougher and tougher. So on some issues, I think they've changed. On some issues, I think they've remained the same. Thank you, Eddie. 800-848-9222. James is in Bayside. Hello, James. Yeah, hi, Frank. Uh, The other day, um, Sid was uh, a little upset with Greg Kelly because he felt he didn't acknowledge Bernard's, uh, you know, passing. In the, in the beginning of his show, I I, I, don't, I, I didn't hear anything uh, follow up to that because I was, I was listening to see if uh, Greg was going to, you know, bring it up. He didn't acknowledge Bernard. So what, what's your question, James? So my question is, do you know anything about that? This concert I had heard about it. Sid was upset. You know, Sid's an emotional guy, and he and he and he was exp- expressing his displeasure that Greg Kelly didn't uh, <laughs> came on the show. And started his radio show, you know, it was right after Bernard's death. Right. Just so, right got into the news and didn't bring up Bernard. Yeah, so I don't. I, I would listen. Yeah, I, I mean, I heard, heard uh, I heard Sid's remarks, but I don't know anything other than what Sid said on the radio. Um, I asked Sid about it in the hallway, um, and he kind of reiterated those same remarks to me privately. But um, I didn't hear anything from Greg on this, but I don't usually listen to Greg just because I'm either busy or asleep at that time. So, no, I have no special insight on that. Alyssa is in Manhattan. Hello, Alyssa. Good morning, Reverend Frank. And Good thank morning. Thank you for taking my time. Absolutely. Call. Thank you. Uh, my question is, I had called and asked you this question once before, but I guess it's on me. I didn't make myself clear enough. Um, I had asked you if you would ever listen to any other radio shows, and the answer you gave was about um, that you had listened to other broadcasters. But what I, I should have clarified, what I meant was, did you ever listen to any radio dramas, like the old-time radio dramas with uh, the Gracie Al- George Burns Gracie Allen show. Yeah, I or still Jack do. Benny, actually, or- uh, there's a great channel on uh, on satellite radio where I listen to a lot of those shows. But what I used to really enjoy uh, with a similar, I used to really enjoy the um, Abbott and Costello did a radio show for a time. I yeah. used to enjoy yeah. that. Um, I like a lot of the comedy shows. Uh, uh, Jack Benny's radio show, I I still get quite a kick out of. But mm-hmm. um, w- I used to really enjoy the first hour of Joe Franklin's Saturday Night Radio Show. He he would play a movie on the radio from the Lux Radio Theater, and I really yes. enjoyed those uh, those movies uh, because a lot of times they would get the actors that were in the motion picture to recreate that role on the radio. So yes, I uh, I enjoyed quite a bit, and I would say um, my my uh, fondness lent itself mostly to comedy, but also those movies on the Lux Radio theater uh we'll try and get in oh no we're not gonna have time for one more here all right uh so i don't know if we have a consensus among the three knuckleheads that work on this show and ob murray who has agreed to pay for this prize what have you guys come up with we're gonna go with uh larry in long island someone in your family that you don't like all right larry in long island so call back and either you can ask a question again or ob will send you a prize until then keep asking questions This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, 
Here's Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Have you ever worked in a restaurant? Have you ever been to a restaurant where it seems another customer is rude? Well, those issues are in the in the forefront this week after a couple of celebrities have made an issue of this. If you've ever worked in a restaurant and had someone that was, I'll use the word, abusive to the restaurant staff, call me. I want to know about it. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I'll give you some of the context behind this. And in about 10 minutes, we're going to talk with uh, the great John Gambling, legendary radio talk show host, and uh, somebody that I was privileged to work with for quite some time. And if uh, for those of you that listen outside of New York, uh, John is a gem and a gentleman, a brilliant guy. And even when you disagree with him, he just has such a sultry voice, such dulcet tones uh, when he enunciates that uh, I think you're really going to enjoy getting to know John Gambling. But uh, the winner of our best question last hour has chosen as his prize the option of calling back and asking another question. So let us welcome back Larry on Long Island. Hello, Larry. Congratulations on your giant case of satisfaction. Frank, first of all, this is a great pleasure and a great honor. And I want to thank you for offering me this very, very generous prize of calling back. Very simple question. You're out somewhere in the public's eyes, and you run into somebody who recognizes you. He is an ex CNN contributor (laughs) by the name of Jeffrey Tubin, and he's reaching out to shake your hand. Do you shake (laughs) his hand? That's very funny, um, especially if people know uh, what led to Jeffrey Tubin's sort of unceremonious dismissal from (laughs) CNN. Well, I'll be honest with you. I actually know Jeffrey Tubin a little bit. He was in um, the documentary I produced called Get Me Roger Stone. So it's actually Uh not that far-fetched that uh, Jeffrey Tubin would would say hello. And, you know, again, I would probably uh, uh, shake his hand as long as it was in an establishment where there was some hand sanitizer close by. If not, I would make a quick beeline to the men's room to be sure I could wash my hands right afterwards. Personally, I would have to be wearing a hazmat suit to (laughs) to shake his hand. Fair enough, Larry. Great question. Thank you. All right. Um, James Corden is a comedian and uh, he is um, he's on the he's host of one of these late shows. I am actually trying to succeed him. As the host of the Late Late Show, that is actually, if you go to my Twitter, when I'm not being shadow banned, at Frank Morano, I'm trying, that's the first tweet you see. I have a pinned tweet where I'm trying to get people to get a movement going to CBS to have me take over as the host of the Late Late Show. I'd still like to keep doing this show, but I think I could do that show as well or better than James Corden. I don't watch a lot of these late night shows because I'm on the air at the same time, but I have seen James Corden, and I think he does a good job. I think he's um, pretty funny. I think he's not a bad interviewer. I think uh, he's not a bad singer. He does some creative things, some different bits, which I like, like, Carpool karaoke. I've seen him on places like the Tonys. But I think American television is sort of ready for an American in that position. Not a Craig Ferguson or a James Corden, but somebody from the United States. 
But who knows? We'll see. Uh, So far, CBS has not come knocking on my door. But James Corden is in the crosshairs of a great deal of controversy now. It has nothing to do whether you like his show or don't like his show. Just know that he's he's kind of famous, right? I don't. Uh, he's not certainly Johnny Carson level. I don't even think he's Jay Leno level, but he's. I think he's Craig Ferguson level. I think he's that level of fame. He's well known. He's one of those guys that I think if you saw him on the street, even if you didn't know his name, you'd say, "Hey, I recognize that guy. That guy's on TV." Okay, that's the kind of level of fame I think we're talking about. So he goes to eat at this uh, restaurant, Balthazar, in New York. I've been to Balthazar. It's a great restaurant, and it's also a very hoity-toity restaurant. It's one of those restaurants that's kind of a scene, that if you want to go there and not only enjoy great food that's a little overpriced, but, you know, be seen and see others, that's a good spot to do it. It's a, it's a big, if you ever wanted to impress a date, you take her to Balthazar, right? That was always the rule of thumb. Well. The owner, the restaurateur who runs Balthazar, Keith McNulty, four days ago, took to Instagram and posted all about James Corden. A vicious, not not really vicious, but a biting screed describing how James Corden was abusive to the restaurant staff. And I'm going to read you what he said. And he banned him from the restaurant. And now you think about that. You go out of your way to ban a celebrity, you know you're going to get some attention for that. That's firing a blow across the bow of that celebrity. And that ban remained in effect for, I think, about a day, maybe about a half a day, until James Corden called the restaurant and called this guy, Keith McNally, and apologized, which tells me that uh, James Corden knows that he's wrong. So this was the initial Instagram post. James Corden... It's from the owner of the restaurant. James Corden is a hugely gifted comedian, but a tiny cretin of a man. And the most abusive customer to my Balthazar servers since the restaurant opened 25 years ago. I don't often 86 a customer to today. I think he meant to say, but today I 86 Corden. It did not make me laugh. Here are two examples of the funny man's treatment of my staff. Managers report number one. In June, James Corden was here on Table 61. Although this is diabolical, it happens very occasionally in all restaurants. After eating his main course, Corden showed the hair to Balthazar manager G, who was very apologetic. Corden was extremely nasty to G and said, get us another round of drinks this second and also take care of all of our drinks so far. This way, I write any nasty reviews in Yelp or anything like that. I think he meant to say, this way, I don't write any nasty reviews or anything like that. So basically, James Corden essentially blackmailed the the manager into free drinks for the meal. Now, I don't know what kind of money James Corden makes. I'm sure it's not as much as he'd like, but he can afford to buy, buy some drinks. I mean, I – but even if he can't, even if he wants the free drinks – Why would you ever be nasty with a manager? I have gotten some very poor service in restaurants over the years. I don't think you can find one waiter, bartender, or restaurant manager, one, that has ever said that I was nasty to them, even when I've gotten horrible treatment. I don't think you can find one. Uh, And I'm not saying that, oh, look at me, I'm so great. I think I'm the norm. I don't understand 
I was I started reading this article, and I had this on my list all week, but sort of my topic list for the show was upended, which I'll describe a little later. I started, when, when I was going to talk about this, I was going to say, I don't know why celebrities mistreat waiters or restaurant managers or bartenders, because you know someone's going to see you and talk about what a jerk you are. But then I stopped and thought about it more. I don't think it has anything to do with being a celebrity. Why would anyone mistreat a server or a manager? I think, you know, I always say I don't understand why people fight about politics. I don't fight about politics. Because if you disagree with someone, you know what you should do? Vote for the other guy. Same thing in restaurants. If you have a bad experience, don't don't go to that restaurant anymore. There's no need to carry on and make a big scene. Um, so let me continue with this Instagram report, and then we're going to talk to John Gambling. Managers report number two. James Corden was at Balthazar with his wife on October 9th for brunch. He asked for a table outside. Brunch maitre d' Allie Walters took the party to table 301. Mr. Corden's wife ordered an egg yolk omelet with Gruyere cheese and salad. A few minutes after they received the food, James called their server, MK, and told her there was a little bit of egg white mixed with egg yolk. What? MK informed the floor manager, G, the kitchen remade the dish, but unfortunately sent it with home fries instead of salad. That's when James Corden began yelling like crazy to the server, you can't do your job. You can't do your job. Maybe I should go into the kitchen and cook the omelet myself. Oh, my goodness. Why don't you do that, James? Why don't you? MK was very apologetic and brought G over to the table. He returned the dish, and after that, everything was fine. He gave them promo champagne glasses to smooth things out. G said that Corden was pleasant to him, but nasty to the server. MK was very shaken, but professional that she is, continued to finish her shift. So James Corden then apologized. I just do not understand how people or why people ever get nasty with restaurant service. And then yesterday I see the article that Conan O'Brien, who I don't know, but I feel like I know. I feel like, you know, he's one of those guys that we would get along. I think we'd be friends. Once fired a member of his staff for being rude to a waiter in a restaurant. And you know what I thought when I saw that? And I think the article was meant to be critical of Conan. Oh, he's so tough. Uh, He'll fire people for this or that. You know what I said? I said, good. Good. I don't want people, uh, you know, around on my staff, if I could hire people that are going to be rude to uh, anybody, especially restaurant servers. They do great work. Someone who I guarantee you is never rude to restaurant servers is John Gambling. We'll talk to him straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
For the better part of three quarters of a century, all sorts of New Yorkers began their morning uh, with some rambling on the radio. And uh, we've only been doing this show for about two years, but uh, on our very first show, I reached out to uh, someone that I have had the privilege of working with and getting to know. And that's really the great thing about radio from my perspective, especially if you're a fan of it and then come to work in it, you get to get to befriend and get to know a lot of people that you grew up listening to and admiring. And very often they fall short of your expectations. Well, I can tell you in the case of legendary radio talk show host, John Gambling, he far exceeded our expectations. He was kind enough to join, uh, kind enough to join us for our one year anniversary, and he was doing some jet setting international travel when we had our two year anniversary. So we figured we'd make a rain date, and he's kind enough to join us this morning. John, it's great to talk with you again. I miss you. How've you been? Hey, Frank, I missed you too. Uh, you know what? We we had we had a wonderful time. It was it was a lot of fun the the years we worked together. Uh, that's for sure. So um, you were doing some international traveling a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a lot of people think it was some sort of conspiracy to skip out on the hurricane. Where'd you go? Uh, Wendy and I took a cruise in the Baltic. Uh, I'd never been. We had never been in that uh, neck of the world before. We've, we've been fortunate, so blessed to be able to travel as you know, all over the world. And uh, that was one place we hadn't been. Uh, so we had some time on our hands in September, and we booked a cruise, and we went uh, to uh, the usual places, uh, Stockholm, and we went to Helsinki. We went to uh, Tallinn, La- uh, uh, Estonia. We went to uh, Riga, Latvia. Uh, we went to Gdansk, Poland. Uh, there were others. I mean, there, I think there was at least 12 different stops uh, that we made. We were supposed to have been stopping in St. Petersburg, mm. but my but my very good friend uh, Vlad uh, kind of ruined that. He screwed that up for us big time. Uh, uh, fortunately, I fortunately I've been to St. Petersburg a couple of times. Uh, I may ask you about the Russia situation in uh, just a moment, but uh, if you had to pick a highlight, whether it was the food, whether it was the sites, whether it was the architecture, the history, uh, the people, what would you say if you had to pick a highlight of your your Baltic excursion? What would it be? Well, I'd have to I'd have to group a whole bunch of those things: the history and uh, the, the the people could not have been nicer. Uh, I will tell you, and I've been telling my friends this. Uh, that I was I was surprised. I shouldn't have been if I had thought about it, but uh, I was on a cruise. I wasn't thinking. Um, uh, everywhere we went, each of the guides that we had that, that you know, once you once you spent a, some time with them, uh, first of all, they're socialists. They love they love social government. They think it's the best thing in the whole wide world. Everything is provided for you, and uh, yeah, and. Then when you mentioned that you pay 90 percent in taxes, they just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, we love it this way. And one of the mm-hmm. things I discovered, I'll, I'll try and answer your question in a second. One of the things that at least came to my mind was that a socialistic system works in these countries, Baltic countries, because they're so small. I mean, you know, they, they have populations that there are more people living in Queens uh, than, mm-hmm. than in, in Finland. It's uh, I exaggerate a little bit, but uh, that that's and that's why I think it works. Uh, and that's why I think most of them are happy when I say most of them. Obviously, not everybody is happy all the time. But the the thing that struck me was they are with without an exception. 
absolutely scared to death about this winter because they have no idea. Their governments have been unable to tell them or provide them with the energy necessary to heat their homes. Uh, the gas is gone. The, the uh, oil is cut, is cut off. And so every port we went into, they were unloading coal from ships. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I never asked. I should have. Uh, I'm not sure where this coal is coming from. But they are unloading coal as fast as they possibly can. Uh, they get it off the ships, and they've got the rail cars right there. They dump it right in the rail cars, and the rail cars go off to wherever they go. And they're going to be, they're going to be firing up their electric plants using coal. In fact, I think they already are uh, using coal to fire up there. So, so much for uh, Greta Thunberg and her uh, climate change nonsense. Uh, you know, her, her own country is, is, is spewing junk in the air. It's funny, the uh, time away from the radio, I see, has done nothing to change your tune on the climate change question. <laughs> no, um, speak- no in, fact, in fact, I'm even more entrenched in my anti-climate theory nonsense. Uh, speaking of uh, the weather, you obviously are a Florida resident these days, and uh, they had a very uh, rough hurricane. Uh, did you, When you came back and uh, you got back home, how was your property? How was your house? Everything turned out okay? Well, fortunately, yes. We had, we lost two small trees, but uh, the cage over the pool and the house, uh, the roof on the house and every in the windows, everything was fine. Uh, it it would have been a whole different story had that storm had Ian gone where it was originally forecast, and that's uh, right past my back door uh, up into Tampa. Uh, we live in Sarasota, uh, so it would have come right right over the house, and it would have been a different scene completely. But uh, no, we were very lucky. But having said that, not 20 miles to the south of us. It starts to get really ugly. I mean, you know, wow. you've you've seen all the pictures. It's just oh, no. uh, my 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 heart breaks for these people. About four or five years ago, we were catching up on the on the telephone, and I asked you. It might even be longer than that. I asked you, "How's Florida? How do you like living in Florida?" And your response was, "You almost paused and sighed in joy, and said, uh, in words or substance, there is nothing." not to like about Florida. Now that you've had a few more years down there, had to ride out a few more storms, see a few more alligators, what's, uh, is that still your view? Is there still nothing not to like about Florida? I think it's even better now than it was. I mean, it's just uh, every, everything about it. The longer I live here, the, the, the more um, sort of ingrained uh, in, in, in what Florida is about, and I don't mean necessarily the politics, but, but the lifestyle uh, and and the people, even even you people from the north coming down here, you turn into different people when you get into Florida. <laughs> I have noticed that a lot of my friends and family members that have moved down to Florida, there's a big East Coast, West Coast divide, and it comes to a lot more than geography. There's a whole cultural difference between the East Coast and Florida and the West Coast. What is the sort of the cultural difference between those two coasts? Well, you're absolutely right. East Coasters and West Coasters are two different uh, two different breeds. Um, the East Coast is very east Eastern Seaboard. It's a very Northeast. It's very New York, New Jersey, um, uh, Maryland, and and the, the Massachusetts and the rest of it. Uh, you come over onto the West Coast, and maybe it's because it's closer to the Midwest. But you end up with many more Midwesterners and uh, a good a good um, dose of Canadians as well. 
And it, it, it is, in my mind, uh, a more relaxed environment over here, not quite as harried, uh, certainly not as built up as the east coast of Florida is. Uh, not, however, we, are, we seem to be chasing them as fast as we possibly can with development. And that's because, uh, and this is just, <coughs> excuse me, that, that's because, uh, and this is a recent statistic, I read that last year, 375,000 people moved to Florida. That's 1,000 people wow. a day. Wow. 1,000 that... people a day. And they are building houses uh, in places you wouldn't expect them to, uh, but as fast as they possibly can to meet the demand. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, on the one hand, I am surprised by such a staggering number. On the other hand, at the rate that people tell me that they're either moving to Florida or that they want to move to Florida, I'm not surprised. So that's interesting. You mentioned the politics of Florida, and people just tuning in, we're talking with uh, legendary New York radio talk show host John Gambling, a third-generation radio talk show host. And uh, there's a lot of talk that a lot of prominent Florida politicians may be major presidential candidates for the Republican Party coming up in 2024. Obviously, your governor, Ron DeSantis, has become sort of a nationwide phenom. But there's even been some talk of uh, Senator Rick Scott running for president, maybe even Marco Rubio uh, giving another chance at running for president. And obviously, I think Florida's most famous former New Yorker, Donald Trump, has uh, pretty much said that he's planning to move forward with some sort of a presidential candidacy. Do you think uh, that uh, any or all of the people that I just mentioned have the makings of a national presidential candidate in 2024? I certainly think DeSantis does. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed with uh, Ron DeSantis. Um, he is, uh, he's affable. Uh, he's smart. He's fearless, uh, both politically and physically. I think he, 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 has ideas in his mind that he believes are the way that Florida should be going and the way the nation should be going as well. And he's not afraid to step up and just, you know, not worry about the brick and brack that comes from making decisions. So I've been I've been pretty impressed. Rick, Rick Scott, uh, you know, he's running he's running for a governor against DeSantis. Um, no, Charlie Crist. I'm sorry, Charlie Chris. That's who I meant. I I apologize. You're absolutely right. Um, He said something in one of his TV commercials the other day, uh, and he he was blabbling, blah, 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 blah. And and then they said, uh, uh, you can trust me on that. You can trust me on that. And I turned to Wendy and I said, any politician that says you can trust me on that, uh, that's the person you have to run away from as fast as possible because they're not going to they're not going to do what they're going to do. let me see if I can uh, uh, kind of circle back here to uh, some of the some of the others. Um, uh, well, obviously, you know, the big, I, I don't yeah. think I don't think Marco I don't think Marco has a chance on the on the national scene other other than his senatorial run. I think I think he will win over Val Deming. Um, uh, she is she's pretty radical. Uh, one of the things that we worry about down here, however, is uh, talking about people moving down here. We are very very concerned about the more lib- moderate and liberal point of view that is moving in with all of these people. Um, and, and we believe that they, you know, they want to move to Florida for all its wonder and all its uh, many, many positives, and yet then they want to change it politically, uh, which, which has those of us that are on the other side of the fence 
uh, a little con- concerned about that. But uh, then, of course, we have the 8,000-pound uh, gorilla mm-hmm. uh, in the room, which, of course, is Donald Trump. Um, Frank, you know, you know that I've known Donald forever. Right. You were um, at his second wedding to Marla Maples. I was. I was indeed. In fact, it was a very memorable evening. Um, God, I hope he doesn't run. I really hope he doesn't run. It, it's just, I, I, you know, a lot of what he did, especially in, in hindsight with uh, our, our friend uh, Uncle Joe down there uh, eating, eating. Can you believe he had somebody, some advisor said, Joe, it's going to be great if we get a couple of shots of you with this gigantic ice cream cone when, <laughs> when, the, rest of, when the rest of the world is going down the shooter? I mean, come on. Anyway, uh, I, he's, he's just a mess. But in retrospect, Donald's programs, I, I always supported uh, or most of them, not, not all of them. It's, it's his personal act that I think is, would, would kill the Republic. It, it wouldn't kill. It would make it more difficult for Republicans, I think, to run because he's so he, on the negative meter when, you know, from his personality – it goes to zero instantaneously for most people. So I, it, it, I hope he. Do, I hope he doesn't run. It, I mean, uh, it is difficult to see how he's expanded his base from 2020. Even uh, for folks that uh, that were were all for his policies, a lot of them seem continually frustrated with a lot of the the drama. I'll say that uh, that uh, they experienced not only when he was in office, but even subsequent to that. Hey, uh, one of the you mentioned the Russia Ukraine situation. Well, one of the things that it was fascinating for me to watch uh, close up is sort of your evolution on different foreign policy issues. I remember when the war in Iraq started, it seemed like you were willing to give the Bush administration a lot of the benefit of the doubt. And then, you know, over the ensuing 12, 13 years that I watched you uh, comment on foreign policy areas, you seem to be more moving more in sort of a Pat Buchanan-esque direction. I'm curious how you view the Russia-Ukraine situation now. It seems like there's a bipartisan consensus in Washington to support the Ukrainians at all costs, give them weapons, give them money. And uh, there is a very narrow constituency on the other side of that that says, well, all you're doing is poking the Russian bear, which happens to have more nuclear warheads than any country uh, on the planet. How do you view the, the Russia situation? Well, I, I, I guess I support the, uh, um, the uh, underpinnings of the Ukrainians uh, against the Russians. Uh, what what, the, what uh, the Russians did with the invasion is unconscionable uh, with the, uh, the announcement that they're going to annex uh, the areas that they have, have pointed to and have uh, added to their map uh, is just... You can't do that kind of stuff and, and get away with it and walk away with it. And for those that are saying that you're po- po- taking your finger and po- poking the eye of the bear, well, what else are you going to do? Because if you don't do anything, old Vlad's going to just keep on trucking, and who knows where the heck he's going to stop. I w- having said all of that, I, I am very, very concerned about the nuclear threat because um, – if you've read some of the some of the books recently, um, nuclear war can proliferate in virtually a political nanosecond. You know, all it takes is one uh, really sort of innocuous international event, and before you know it, if some ba- if some 
questionable or mistakes are made, questionable moves or mistakes are made, you, you, it gets out of control. You, you just start doing stuff that you have to react, and yet the reaction is deadly. Um, I don't want to say that he's not going to throw a tactical nuke someplace, but I don't know how he gets out of this. I have no, I can't, I can't come up with a scenario, a political scenario, where Vladimir Putin, and it's really just Vladimir Putin. It's not the Russian people. He's got no support for this. Uh, even his military is is starting to walk away and back off from him. It's only Vladimir Putin. So you've got an ego. You've got a you've got a man that is is consumed with uh, ruling the world and reconstituting the the uh, Russian state as it was before the collapse, and he is determined. And now that he's losing, he's embarrassed, and he's backed himself into a corner. And as we all know, you don't want to back people that are crazy into a corner because you have no idea what they're going to do to extricate themselves from that corner. So uh, I think, I think the, the, the West has a real, real sticky situation here on what, what, how do you react if he throws you know, a tactical nuclear weapon, which is maybe something, right. a shell from an artillery piece um, or a small missile. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about intercontinental uh, you know, megaton, gigundo, end of the world kind of stuff. I'm just talking. They have, they literally have stuff that you can throw, which will destroy, quote unquote, a limited area. But what do you do if he does? Right. Well, I, well, that's I the. Don't know. I don't uh, know. That uh, that's the five million dollar question, right? I mean, uh, back when you were going to school, the way that uh, teachers it taught students to deal with the nuclear threat was uh, stop, drop, and roll, right? These days, uh, the New York City government is releasing PSAs saying if there's a nuclear attack, go inside and go down to your basement, essentially. And uh, one wonders if uh, the modern day wisdom is any is any greater than the wisdom during the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. I, I suspect. No, I- I, back back when I was in grammar school, uh, and and they would you know back in the early '60s uh, when the Cuban Missile Crisis was going on, uh, they would have us uh, and you know we those that are my age remember this with with some some sort of nostalgia. Uh, they would make us go and and sit in the hallway with our hands over our necks <laughs> and, and and our heads between our knees, or they would have you get under the desk. Now that's going to do a lot. When the nuclear right. weapon gets right. gets dropped on New York City, I don't think the desk was designed to protect you. Uh, talking with John Gambling, uh, John, one of the reasons that you've cited, and I know you've had many opportunities to come back to radio over the years, and uh, you've uh, always demurred, I'm guessing in part because you enjoy uh, your golf and sailing schedule, but you've always said that you've kind of gotten a little frustrated, maybe more than a little frustrated with the level of toxicity in political discourse these days. And it just seems like there's just this incredible, not only polarization, but an anger when discussing political affairs. It's been maybe a year or so since we spoke on the radio about this. How do you think that is uh, developing? Is that a lack of civility getting worse? Is it getting better? Is it staying about the same? How do you view that situation? 
I think it's getting worse. Um, in fact, uh, I know that um, many times, unless I know the political stance of an individual that I'm with at dinner or playing golf or whatever the heck I'm doing, um, unless I know where they stand, I don't, I don't bring up politics. Uh, in fact, I try not to bring up politics most of the time. Unfortunately, uh, it has it, it is all consuming sure. uh, for for most of us because it, it directly affects obviously how we live. Um, but I think the the anger and the, uh, the the really nastiness is is so troubling, um, and it is pervasive. Uh, I think not only the political discussion, but just the general living that we all do. And I don't really care what your politics are. Mm -hmm. The anger, uh, I mean, look at the anger on the streets of New York City that I read about in the New York Post every day that I read. Um, I'm stunned. I mean, there's virtually every page has a stabbing, has a pushing off into the, the subway tracks. Uh, this is, these are people that are, that are really, really troubled and unhappy. We're not going to get into this. At least I don't really want to get into it, but this is a whole mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the fact that there's, uh, there's no place for these people to really go, uh, shelters are not the answer, but they, we need institutions of, of one form or another. But, um, even our children are mean. They're mean and they're angry. And Frank, you know me well enough to know, and you've known me long enough to know, that back at the beginning of the social, uh, internet social uh, situations uh, and places on the web, I, I denounced that virtually from the beginning as mm-hmm. a potential killer. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating here. Killer of society. Because I think I think it is insidious. I think, especially now that our our young people have been living with it for a couple of decades, uh, their their bodies, if you will, and, and maybe this is a, a little overstating it, but they're infected with this nonsense that the internet uh, and and the things that trend are real. Trending is is not something that is real. Sure, there are people that are talking about this thing and the other thing, but these are these are just people that, because of their anonymity, can sit there with their thumb, keyboard warriors, and say and say anything they want. It it doesn't even have to be real. It doesn't have to be even what they think. It's just they're trying to get a reaction of some sort. Um, again, I've been worried about this for a long, long time, and I'm, no, I'm not any less worried. So what do you think the solution is, John? Is, is it getting um, children as they mature and get into a digital age and a reading age to spend more time interacting with people in person, folks like your grandchildren and my son? Or is it, um, is it something else? Is there something else that can be done by adults, by parents, by children, by teachers in order to sort of, uh, I'll call detoxify the level of discussion? Because I do the same thing that you do. I find myself 
not discussing politics unless people ask me about it. And it's really just because I don't want to have an argument because someone wants to vote for the other guy. I mean, I would love and, to be and able you can't and you can't have a discussion. It always right. turns into an argument. Right. Right. And that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to have a discussion, find out, you know, w- ask questions as to why people believe what they believe, explain why I've come to the conclusions that I've come to. And I try to do that on the show to some extent, but it's very, very challenging. And it's even more challenging when you don't have the ability to hang up on people, as is the case in real life. So what do you think the solution is, if any? Well, uh, what I'm what I'm going to answer that with is going to sound uh, to a lot of people listening here to, as, as the corniest thing that they've ever heard in their life, and they'll probably accru- accuse me of being completely out of touch and unrealistic and all the rest of it. Uh, and if uh, that's the way you feel, so be it. But th- I think I think it comes back to the family. I think the family has been destroyed. Uh, by by all of the things that you and I have just talked about uh, on the internet and more, and the raising of children today, um, it's it's just different. The re, the the relationship uh, between the, the, that I see uh, my children having with their children, my grandchildren, is very very different from the way I raised my kids. And I am blessed with three spectacular boys and families. Uh, and, and I don't think that that was an accident. Uh, I think Wendy and I worked at it very hard. Now, we were very lucky. Uh, I'm, what I'm about to say is something that I know not very many people anymore can do because they're busy, two, two uh, income families and the like. And that is we were lucky enough to sit down because I got home early in the day to sit down for dinner every night, a family dinner every single night. And uh, I think that that is absolutely um, an event that is at the core of raising people that have a much broader and realistic understanding of the world. Yeah, uh, it makes uh, it makes a lot of sense, and something tells me that was a dinner that was largely free of iPads and electronic devices. Oh, in, there was none of that. We, I mean, first well. of all, uh, cell phones didn't even exist. But uh, so you know, the the distractions, and that's a very good point, Frank. The distractions uh, weren't as numerous. In fact, I can remember the first computers the kids got, uh, and they were gigundo things, you know, the Macs and all the rest of it. Um, so, yes, I mean, I watch my grandchildren now um, and uh, they sit and watch uh, games and cartoons on the on the iPhone uh, constantly. And uh, it's a wonderful babysitter. Uh, I, I'm not sure how it ultimately ends up. And maybe maybe I'm putting too much negativity on that act activity. But um, it's different. It, it, it certainly is. You've been real generous with your time. Two quick questions I want to run by you. I can't avoid taking advantage of your expertise when it comes to radio. Beginning on, I think, Monday or whatever, sometime next week, you're going to see 1010 Wins, probably the best-known all-news station in the entire country. They're going to start in New York simulcasting on FM, 92.3 FM. Now, I sent an informal survey to a lot of people that I know that uh, know the radio business very well. 
Well, it was really interesting. I got back a very divided consensus in terms of whether or not this was going to be successful for them. As somebody that's uh, been involved in the radio business and made a living in the radio business, as you have for the bulk of your life, do you think this is going to work, kind of doing a, an FM simulcast of an AM all-news station? Well, what's your definition of success? Ah. <laughs> um, I mean, if it's, if it's the uh, increase in ratings uh, or, or to, the, to, the, to the radio station to wins, uh, the billing, the dollars generated, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to make a, a hill of beans. I don't think it's going to make mm-hmm. any difference at mm-hmm. all. I also heard, I also read, uh, in, again, in the New York Post, that uh, WCBS and WINS uh, are owned by the same company, and that they are combining staffs. So there's really only one staff and two all news radio stations. So you've you've really cut you know cut the baby in half here. Uh, and I I under I totally get the management of Wins trying the best they can in a, in, in a medium that is um, how should I say I hate to, I hate to say it while I'm on it. But it's it's withering. I mean, it's it's it just uh, is is finding it very difficult to compete in the digital world. And they're trying to expand the horizon by putting it on FM. Do I do I think that people are going to switch to FM to listen to uh, 1010 wins uh, because maybe the quality is a little bit better, the static is gone, and and the rest of it? I don't think so. Would they? Pick, well, and that might might they pick up a couple of listeners uh, on the FM dial? Okay, fine, but. The biggest problem radio has is that uh, younger people don't listen to it. Well, that leads me to my next question in terms of where radio falls today. Now, it used to be that if you wanted to know whether school was closed due to a snowstorm, you'd turn on uh, John Gambling, depending on your age. It was either John B, John A, or John R, and you'd find out if school was closed. Now you get a text message to your phone. If you wanted to know what the traffic was, you'd turn to a station that did the traffic. Now you turn on your Waze app, and it tells you the best way to avoid the traffic. If you wanted to know the weather, uh, you'd turn on the radio and wait for somebody to tell you the temperature. Now you just speak to your smart speaker or look at your phone and see what the temperature is. Uh, The same thing with news. Not only do you uh, have the ability to pick up your phone and see whatever the news is, but you actually can curate through social media exactly what sort of news you want fed to you on a regular basis. The same could be said of of sports scores, of stocks. Um, And I'm curious, given the fact that so much of the informational role that radio used to play in people's lives, can now be replaced more efficiently and with fewer commercials with um, other means. What do you see as the future long-term of spoken word format radio? Um, Well, you could tell by my uh, couple of comments prior to what you just said, and everything you said is exactly true. And that's why why younger groups do not listen to the radio because they're getting all of the information that radio used to provide, including music and entertainment and everything else, um, on their on their phones, on their their, their their digital equipment, and talk radio, which I made a very nice living at and had a wonderful time at. Um, it's being supplanted by podcasts that, again, to your point, target for the listener. Uh, or the viewer target what they want, they, what they're interested in, rather than what mm. is being presented 
by uh, some host or program director or whomever. So, uh, again, uh, I think radio has been through challenges since its invention in 1923. Uh, Television, movies, um, again, the the early Internet and the rest of it. And they've, they've been able to survive fairly well. Um, in fact, after the onslaught of television in the 50s and 60s, uh, radio it was the golden age in the 60s and early 70s. I mean, it was making more money than they knew what to do with. Hmm. The other thing, and, and you, can't, you can't take the dollars and cents out of the question that you've asked, because uh, one of the reasons that radio is uh, withering is because there is no – very good way or detailed way to tell how many people are listening. They have ratings. They, they, I don't know, Frank, do they have one rating service or two still? Uh, one, one, one. That's what I thought. It's, it's Nielsen, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Well, it, they only it have was, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, it's, 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 it's just an amalgam of, uh, statistics of uh, approximations of guesses, um, whereas the digital side of things, the advertiser knows to the to the individual how many people are watching, listening, or going for what information. For you, you, you mentioned traffic and weather. Well, if you get your traffic and weather on your iPhone, you can click on. Or if you go to Waze, you can click on, and Waze is going to tell an advertiser that they have John Gambling and, and Frank Morano and uh, 10,000 others that are clicking on their site. And so the, the presentation of the advertiser uh, and advertising and to the advertiser, they know what the cost is going to be and what the return is going to be because they know how many people are watching. That's what yeah. radio can't do anymore. Yeah. Or they, no, they, uh, actually ho- never, they actually never did. Uh, we, had, we had ratings, yeah. and we all lived and died by them, but they're not nearly as specific as the digital. Yeah, well, I'm hoping we can figure something out, selfishly, uh, both for my uh, needs as a listener and as a uh, somebody that's trying to make a living uh, doing this these days. Finally, John, um, uh, last week we uh, lost, uh, or I guess two weeks ago, we lost uh, Bernard McGurk. And I know you and Bernie only worked at the same radio station for about five months 15 years ago, but uh, he certainly was an integral part of the IMIS show. And in 1990s New York, morning radio was an incredible thing to watch because of the competition that was in the mornings. You had Howard Stern, uh, especially when he was doing a local show in the mornings, who was uh, doing incredible ratings. You were doing incredible ratings on WOR. You had IMS on uh, on 660, both uh, WNBC and The Fan doing incredible uh, ratings, and Bernie McGurk was a, a big part of that. Obviously, the uh, competition on a lot of the other stations was top-notch in those days as well. Wondering if you have any thoughts on, uh, on Bernie's passing, either as someone that knew him a little bit as somebody that competed with his show a little bit or uh, as somebody that uh, kind of followed the New York radio scene as closely as you did for so many years? Well, I, I give Bernie, I never really knew him, to be honest with you. I, I, I never even met him when I, when we broke, both worked at ABC for a while um, uh, because the, the IMAS crew never came to the studios. They always worked um, outside at another location. Uh, so I never, I never saw anybody. Um, but I, 
I, I, I admire that crew, the IMUS crew, for doing what they did for as long as they did. And uh, I, would, I would be lying to you if, if I said that I didn't used to listen to IMUS a little bit and, and, and listen to uh, Bernie and uh, Charles McCord and the rest of them do their bits, which I found the, the early bits, not the, not, not the lend, ones at the end, but the early ones back in the 90s, were hysterical. Moby Worm and all the rest of the nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very, very funny and very, very clever. And Bernie wrote a lot of that stuff and, and produced a lot of that stuff. And I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah, but you're right. But the reason the 90s in morning radio was was so exciting and so lucrative, I mean, you know, all the, all the aforementioned were, were doing very, very well, and the stations were making a lot of, mo- a lot of money. Um, but, you know, morning radio got the same hit as everybody else when mm-hmm. the digital world crashed down onto it and into it. And... Um, so, uh, again, I, one of the things I don't quite understand, and I don't spend much time on this anymore, Frank. I, I, really, I really have extracted myself from uh, radio. But I don't quite get podcasting. I get the impression on what I read that there are people out there doing podcasts that are making a, a, a whole lot of money. And I don't quite understand how that can be. But unless they have audiences in the millions uh, that are listening to their, you know, half-hour broadcast, but I, but I hear people quoted on so-and-so's podcast that seems so extremely uh, out there on content, I wonder how people find these folks. Anyway, mm. that's, that's just, I, that's I just the old, same that's thing. just an old ex-radio guy who hey, doesn't uh, understand. John, it's always a treat uh, to talk with you. I'll look forward to seeing you whenever you're in New York next. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Hey, best Frank, you're always the best. Thank you very much. Do it anytime. Thank you. If you, if you want to comment on uh, any portion of my discussion with John Gambling, including if you want to pla- paint a rosier picture uh, of the future of, uh, of talk radio, because uh, I'm going to go have to gargle with Xanaflesh at the moment, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. The Blob, a classic horror movie, if ever there was one. See, I'm never sure which of my songs will get selected, right? Because sometimes it takes a day or two to get the the rights to some of the songs that I want to play. So I almost, I include more songs to be selected in the hopes that, you know, some of the ones that I picked yesterday would get into the queue for that day. Because, you know, I, I, I kind of figure it's one of those things where it's last in, first out, right? 
where um, or first in, first out, meaning the earlier I request a song, the earlier it'll get in the queue. But uh, it's always a nice surprise to ever, to hear a song make it that day. And this was one of those songs that we requested today. A fine film, if ever there was one. We're going to talk horror movies uh, in about an hour. Until then, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It is time for me to call out those that need some calling out. That's right. It is time for the moment so many of you wait for each and every week. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. I must begin by denouncing Randy Jean Kaufman, a candidate for the Maricopa County Community College District Governing Board in Arizona. Well, he was a candidate. He has suspended his campaign for that office after being caught in his truck... With his pants down. Now, evidently, this person, Randy Jean Kaufman, was arrested for public sexual indecency indecency after he was caught watching pornography and masturbating, and it gets better, the people that are seeking public office nowadays, in his car near a preschool. Now, you talk about bad judgment. It's a bad idea to watch pornography and pull over and masturbate in a car. Can we agree? It's an insane idea to do that near a preschool. But to do that near a preschool while you're running for office, there's only four words that come to mind when it comes to Mr. Kaufman. I do denounce you. I must also denounce... News anchor Krishnan Guru Murthy in the UK. Um, because moments after finishing an interview with Tory Prime uh, Minister, Tory Member of Parliament Steve Baker on Wednesday, Krishnan Guru Murphy had some choice words calling the conservative lawmaker a C word. On a, height, on a hot mic. The comment did not make it to the live broadcast, but it was picked up on the live stream. Deadline reported, quote, It wasn't a stupid question, Steve. You know it. Uh, Guru Murthy could be heard saying to, the, uh, to Mr. Baker, referring to a conversation they had about a vote on fracking, in which the Liz Truss-directed vote went awry, suggesting a vote of no confidence hours before she resigned as Prime Minister. As they closed out, Guru Murthy could be heard muttering the C-word to himself. 
Channel 4 said Guru Murthy would be taken off the air for a week. You know, I don't understand what goes on in people's heads. You know when I've been caught using profanity in front of a microphone? Never! I don't understand why this is such a difficult concept for so many people to grasp. If you're mic'd up, even if you don't think you're live, control yourself. I just, I don't understand how these people call themselves professionals. So, I do denounce you, Mr. Murthy. I must also denounce, we don't have the identity of this person, but I also must denounce the man who slashed multiple tires on a vehicle in the Bronx on Wednesday afternoon. Now, it's always bad. If you're going to denounce, if you're going to slash someone's vehicles, uh, slash a vehicle's tires, but it's much worse when the vehicle's tires that you're slashing belong to the NYPD. And sure enough, this vandal, and you could see the video, the police released this video yesterday, this vandal slashed the tires of a New York City Police Department vehicle at Kelly Street and Westchester Avenue in Longwood just after 12 in the afternoon. The man walked up to a parked, unmarked NYPD vehicle and punctured three tires with an unknown object before fleeing. So police are searching for a man in a Yankees hoodie. It's no reflection on Yankee fans. I know there are plenty of good Yankee fans out there. I have friends that are Yankee fans. I have family members that are Yankee fans. They would never do anything like this. But police are searching for a man who they believe slashed these multiple tires on this NYPD vehicle. I sincerely hope they catch this guy and they throw the book at him. The guy strikes me as a grade A Sicola. I must also denounce... Barilla pasta. Barilla, which is a very popular pasta brand, which is advertised as Italy's number one brand of pasta. Do you know where it's made? It's made in Iowa and New York. The pasta that Barilla is advertising as Italy's number one brand of pasta is not made in Italy. It's been Iowa. Now, it's nothing against Iowa, but you should call yourself Iowa's finest pasta, not Italy's. I There's a lawsuit now regarding false advertising for this, and I think they have a very strong case. And whether they have a strong case or not, I don't know about the legalities here, but I will tell you, Barilla ought to be ashamed of themselves. Barilla, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the ice cream shop Van Leeuwen, a very high-end ice cream parlor here in New York City, where it's like $6.50 for one scoop of ice cream. I must denounce them because they have violated New York City's rule that businesses must accept cash. And up until this point... Uh, Van Leeuwen would only let people pay by credit card. I hate this. For all the reasons stated in my interview with Ralph Nader, we should not be doing away with cash. And businesses should accept cash. It's legal U.S. tender for all debts, public and private. And um, 
now the New York City Department of Consumer and Worker Protection announced that they've entered into a settlement agreement with Van Leeuwen that requires the ice cream company to comply with the city's cashless ban law and pay $33,500 in outstanding civil penalties. Well, I'm glad they're going to change their ways because the reason we have a law that says you have to accept cash is because you should be accepting cash. Van Leeuwen, I do denounce you. I must also denounce China. You know, I I try to avoid denouncing China, one, because I don't want them to, uh, you know, pick on me. No, I'm just kidding. I don't care about that. I, I, I try to avoid denouncing China because every week they do something horrible. Every week, China does something worthy of condemnation or denunciation. And this week, China has been named as the most restricted country in the world with regards to Internet freedom. Not surprisingly, this is a title they have now claimed for the eighth year in a row. Religious freedom advocacy organization Freedom House recently released its Freedom on the Net 2022 study with these discouraging findings. And it found that China has the most restrictive Internet freedom rules in the entire world. China, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Crystal Thomas. This is a 33-year-old woman, the mother of a 10-year-old child, The 10-year-old got a tattoo. Now, this woman has been arrested. So has the tattoo artist. Good. This is child abuse. If someone becomes an adult and they want to get a tattoo, I think that's great. But to allow a 10-year-old to get a tattoo, something that's permanent in in, uh, such a manner, this woman has got to be... Just an awful parent. She's not cool. This is just horrible. I'm glad she was arrested, and I hope this sends a message to other parents that might be tempted to let their 10-year-old son get a tattoo in the future. Crystal Thomas, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the person or persons who vandalized a beautiful Vincent van Gogh painting at London's National Gallery. Two protesters for the climate activism group Just Stop Oil threw tomato soup on Vincent van Gogh's sunflowers at London's National Art Gallery. Immediately after the stunt, the protesters challenged onlookers with this question. Is it worth more than food? worth more than justice are more concerned are you more concerned about the protection of a painting or the protection of our planet and people this is just so idiotic you know i'm all for protecting the environment i'm all for having people speak out about why the environment should be protected but what did vincent van gogh do to anybody why who are you helping by vandalizing a a, a work of art that's incredibly rare and a couple of hundred years old. I, I, I just hate this. I, I'm all for activism. I'm not for vandalism. These people, as far as I'm concerned, are disgraceful. And this group, Just Stop Oil, 
if they uh, were to spend their time working on things that were more constructive instead of destroying or trying to destroy works of art, maybe they'd win a few more people over to their cause. Not holding my breath. Uh, I want to denounce these daycare workers, five daycare workers in Hamilton, Mississippi, who have been charged with child abuse after a video of them terrifying small children with a scary mask, similar to the one seen in the Scream film franchise, went viral. Five of these daycare workers have been charged with child abuse after this uh, video of them terrifying the small children uh, went viral. The incident occurred at Lil Blessings Child Care and Learning Center in Hamilton, Mississippi. I'm not exactly sure how old these children are, but they look like they're about four or five years old. And you see a video of this daycare worker wearing a mask, terrorizing children who are screaming and crying and paralyzed with fear. One of these masked daycare workers, as and this was not a Halloween prank or something, this was a way to terrorize children. One of these daycare workers is quoted is screaming, really, in the face of a small child who's trying to bury their face in their arms on the table. Are you being bad? Do I need to take you outside? In another moment, the woman in the mask can be seen bending down and shrieking in a crying child's face as she shakes in fear. Now, I, I don't know if this is child abuse. But it, I think it might be. It's certainly emotional abuse. But I don't know how these people live with themselves. If your reaction to seeing a child cry or bury their face in their hands under a desk, if your reaction to that is to put on a scary mask and scream at this child and try and scare them more, you're demented. You're demented. And to these five daycare workers, by the way, um, at one point, a boy on this video, and you can look it up for yourself. I'm not going to link to it because I find it disturbing to watch, and I think a lot of you may, but you could find it if you want. After, um, at one point, a boy can be seen running away while the woman in the mask chases after him as she screams inches from his face. This is nuts. So uh, for these five daycare workers, I do... Denounce you. I must also denounce Lafarge. French cement maker Lafarge has pled guilty in U.S. courts to a charge that it made payments to groups designated as terrorists by the United States, including our friends over at ISIS. They did this. They made these payments to ISIS so that the company could keep operating in Syria. Now, I I recognize that capitalism makes people do things that maybe they don't want to do, and maybe you have to cut some ethical corners. But if it's so important to you to make money that you're going to pay terrorist groups who are murdering Americans, then your policy, your priorities are way out of whack. And finally... Uh, I must denounce Megyn Kelly, who I'm actually a fan of and have been for a long, a long time. Megyn Kelly, who's a very popular podcast host, 
she tweeted this week the following. She said, and I know this is going to upset many of you, but I'm still denouncing her for this tweet. A scary number of kids are dying after taking the COVID vaccine from myocarditis, among other injuries. How dare the CDC add this to its list of school vaccinations? Don't listen. Be very careful with your teenage boys in particular, but girls too. These are not honest brokers. This is dangerous. Now, I'm against the vaccine mandate too, and I tend to think that parents should be able to make these decisions for themselves. But what she said is factually inaccurate. A scary number of children are dying after taking the COVID vaccine? Well, how many is a scary number? Is a scary number five? Is it 20? Is it 100? Is it 1,000? Um, so she was met with a swarm of backlash following this. Uh, there's, she doesn't even mention a number, but she says it's scary. And she doesn't point to any evidence whatsoever. There's no footnote. There's no citation. Um, I don't understand it. Well, I don't know why she would be so sloppy. Usually she's so careful with citation. Uh, Frank Luntz, who was on Joan Hamburg's show on Sunday, who was great, he tweeted in response, do you have a link to a source showing that scary number of kids? Also, the CDC doesn't have authority to mandate vaccines for school children. School vaccination lists are left up to the states and local jurisdictions. I um, think Frank Luntz is absolutely right to point that out. And I think that's just incredibly sloppy on the part of Megyn Kelly. So, uh, Megyn Kelly, I'm a fan. I remain a fan, but I do denounce you. All right. uh, If you have a comment on anyone I have denounced... You're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Gone far too soon uh, because of her struggles with addiction. 800-848-9222. I'm going to get to your calls in just a moment. I have to tell you, I'm going to be very honest, going to take you behind the curtain, which I so often do. This has been, I don't want to overstate it, but 
This has been a very difficult show to do today, and much more difficult than uh, than it should be, because I have been doing this show without my co-host. Now you might say, "Wait a minute! I listen to you all the time. Uh, we, you know, you you don't have a co-host." Yes, I do. You just don't hear him or her or they or them. I have a partnership with my laptop computer. My laptop computer that I use for this show on a daily basis, it is essential. It is so essential in almost every aspect of this show. One, all of my notes for the show are on there. I I have Word document after Word document with kind of a rough outline of what I want to cover when. I have notes and notes of... um, what I want to say about every given subject, I then have a whole list of topics that if there's nothing going on, if nobody's calling and, you know, there's nothing going on, that I can go to this list of topics and always have something ready. Then I have um, all these tabs open of research of things that we might talk about, might talk about, and know how to get to it. And then I'm able to navigate the the Google machine uh, aspect of it very quickly to be able to look up things. I'm able to use the calculator function when I have to calculate things. I'm able to use the uh, stopwatch function. And I have stuff on there, you know, my denunciation list, the $1,000 minute list, my uh, rundown of what's when, the, the guest sheet, all sorts of stuff that's on there. So... I had this laptop. It was it was given to me by my former employer because even when I left my old radio station, I was still doing some stuff for them. And then um, recently, they decided, you know, that they're going to stop paying me for the work that I was doing because I'm no longer really doing it. And they said, by the way, um, you know, make arrangements when you can to bring back the laptop. And I talked about that at the time. Right. I said, what should I do? Should I, uh, you know, I laid out the options, but uh, I got a message from our owner at the time that I went through this whole thing. John Katzmatidis, he messaged me and said, well, you know, maybe you could do this and that for my show, meaning his show that airs on that other station still. And maybe we can make an arrangement for you to get to keep that computer, which would be great because I have stuff saved on there. Oh, that's the other thing I didn't get to mention, that I have all sorts of stuff, resources, archives saved on that computer as well. Uh, And I have four or five just documents open with just notes and all sorts of things. And um, lo and behold, I just keep using it. My old employer doesn't say a peep about getting this laptop back, so I just keep using it. And I keep using it, and I keep using it. And yesterday, I was using it. I had just finished making uh, a topic list in the afternoon. I had just finished making the $1,000 minute list. I had just uh, finished making my to-do list, not just a show to-do list, but a personal to-do list. People to write to, people to call, also very well organized. Stuff to post on social media. It's the only area of my life where I'm actually somewhat organized. And so... um, it's on my desk in my office. And it's, you know, you plug it into a charger. You can remove it from the charger. And I do. I take it wherever I go. And, bu- 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 bu. and I'm working in the kitchen on my laptop computer. And 
not thinking anything of anything. I go to my office. I said, hey, where's Carmine? I'm supposed to be watching him now. Well, let me see where he is. He's crawling around. He's in my office. And this child is quite fond of wires, loves wires. And I see, I go into my office, I follow him, and he's messing around with the wire on my laptop computer. Not meaning the charger for my laptop computer, the what they call the AC adapter. Hey, Carmine, give me that. Now, I think he was probably touching it for five seconds, maybe ten seconds. Okay, don't think anything of it. Go back, carry on with my day. Maybe an hour or so later, I go back, and now I have my laptop plugged in to the AC adapter. And I'm working. And I, I get a warning in the corner that says my battery is about to die. I said, wait a minute. Whoa, I've never gotten this before. Why does it say my battery is about to die? Sure enough, it's acting as if it's not plugged into a charger. And now I start panicking. I start panicking. I email myself my notes for the John Gambling interview because I'd worked hard about, you know, what subjects I was going to bring up with him. And um, I said, okay, I see that it's plugged in. The AC adapter, by the way, the charger, it shows that the light is on, on the charger itself, on the wire itself. So it's not as if Carmine bent it or something so that it was no longer capable of charging. It was getting power. But for some reason, it just wasn't charging the laptop. So I said, well, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the outlet itself. I said, let me move it to another outlet. I move it to another outlet. Sure enough, nothing. It's still acting like it's not plugged into a charger. So I'm now freaking out. I'm starting to reach out to friends of mine that live near me to see if they have a similar charger because I'm thinking my son has done something to this wire to screw it up so that it won't charge my computer. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know this. That's the best evidence that I have. Now, um, I'm just panicked. Panicked. I I had to step outside because my neighbors are always perpetually outside. There's like four or five neighbors with their children that are always outside and they're, they're sitting on the stoop and they're having wine and stuff. I had to step outside just to clear my head a little bit and calm down a little bit. And then I, I'm out there with them for about 45 minutes or so. I said, all right, let me go back in. Let me try and work on this. And I'm looking all sorts of things up as to what the cause might be. And whenever you look up a problem with a computer on the Internet, it's like looking up why do you have chest pain, right? There are 9 million different causes about whatever the case is. And so uh, I try this, I try that. And the only conclusion that I come to is that maybe the battery is irreparably damaged on this laptop and maybe it's something with the battery. But several of the articles that I read online say that what you have to do is as you restart it, wiggle, uh, this is actually what it says, wiggle the AC adapter wire that plugs into the computer. And so I do some wiggling. I go take it in, take it out. I try to re- turn it on. And then ultimately, as I'm messing around with this, I see it starts charging again. Wait a minute. Whoa. The charging light is on. Whew. I'm going to have power. I'm going to have a laptop. All right. This was a show that was in danger of going off the rails. Not anymore. So it's charging. All right. I'm feeling good much more relaxed, feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. 
Now I'm behind, though, on all the work that I need to do. So I said, um, let me get some work done. I'll keep it plugged in. Let me get this work, some work done. And sure enough, I turn on the computer, and it brings me the sign that says Dell, right, where just as it normally would. And then usually it goes to a screen where you enter in your password and everything. Instead, instead of that screen, after it says Dell, it says no bootable devices found. And it says press. It's a black screen with white lettering. It says no bootable devices found. Press F1 slash volume up key to retry reboot. Okay, yeah. Maybe that got spooked with the battery. Let me press it. Um doesn't do anything. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Press F2 slash volume down key for setup utility. And then the third option is press F5 home key to run onboard diagnostics. So I try both F5 and F2. And I look up everything that has this particular problem because apparently it's a pretty common problem to get this no bootable devices found. And when I do the diag- the onboard diagnostics, it says that it doesn't see a hard drive. Doesn't see a hard drive coming up. Now I can't boot. I can't log on to the computer. Can't can't open it. Even though now I can see the battery be- when I when I go to the onboard diagnostics and the battery's charging. The battery's at one hundred percent. And then um, I go and watch every YouTube video for these Dell laptops. Not just my Dell laptop, but every Dell laptop. Then I read every article. There's all these Dell discussion boards about what the what's the problem with the Dell. And it all, they all say something like, all right, um, go to boot sequence. Then and when you go to boot sequence, uh, put, put secure boot. Then take secure boot off. And I try everything and still... It's bringing me this whole situation. So now I can't turn the computer on. Not only can I not turn the computer on, but I can't access all of the documents that I have saved on there for tonight's show, number one, and my whole weekend of needing to get stuff done. Because my whole records of, one, what articles I need to read, two, the people I need to call, the three, the people I need to write to, not to mention the show, it's all saved right on there. Now, I usually back it up. Once a week on the weekend, but um, it it's there, and I have no way of accessing any of these documents. And I'm just totally dejected at this point. Now I mentioned before that I do have a laptop that Red Apple Media has given me, but I don't like to use that for anything other than when I need to connect. To the radio station. Well, I'm, I have violated that. I am using that for my regular internet usage to look up things today. But I still can't get this old laptop working. I reach out to the IT person at my former employer because it's their computer. No response. I, I have other friends of mine come over and look at it. They can't figure it out. I try to plug in my external hard drive to see if maybe there's a way that I can get these saved documents off there so at least I can plug these documents onto another computer. Nothing. And then 
I do. I was desperate. I go to the world of Facebook, and you could see this message for yourself, facebook.com slash Moranofan. And I say, I'm trying to log on to my laptop, but to no avail. It just says no bootable devices found. I tried to change the boot sequence, etc. If anyone has any suggestions, please email me. And I have a photograph of what my screen says. Now, it says, please email me. That did not stop 48 comments of people not emailing me, but commenting right on me. And sure enough, a lot of these comments are absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, And I appreciate that everyone's trying to be helpful, but you violated the one thing that I asked you to do, which was email me. So one person says, call the station's IT person and have them do it. Well, gee, why didn't I think of that? Do you really think I needed that suggestion? Hello. Um, And, uh, I mean, do you think there's an IT person there at night that can help me get these documents for tonight? I mean, what kind of suggestion is that? And then, and again, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm not appreciative of some of these suggestions. But someone else says, "Hey, uh, turn the computer off." Gee, turn the computer off. That's really something. Why didn't I think of it? And so I respond to this comment. I said, "What then should I do after that?" They said, "Wait a little while, and turn the computer on." Um. So, all sorts of issues. Another person says, take the battery out and wait a few minutes so it can reset. Um, and then, it, it, it's all sorts of things. And then um, one person says, it's not seeing your hard drive. I know it's not seeing my hard drive. How do I get it to see my hard drive? And this is a new computer. It's only, I mean, it's less than maybe six, seven months old. So, it was really, um, it's really annoying to be to be honest do you want me to solve your problem yes if you say get an apple i will walk out no. of here right now because that's what my wife does, was doing. does the computer have a disk drive like uh for cd rom no no okay. i don't think it does it's like a little uh if, like it a has a, if it has a cd rom then you can have windows on the cd rom and use that as the bootable disk ever you know you know my friend kevin kevin mckay said that can um, but I don't think that it does. All right, I don't think it has that. Then, then the other recourse would be you would actually have to open up the computer, take out the hard right. drive. That's what I'm afraid of. And get a readable, a hard drive reader that can plug into another computer. Then you can right. read the drive and get the stuff off of it without it being bootable. Because if it can't boot up, then that's it. You're right. Done. You're done. But why would this be the case? So my suspicion was this was my suspicion. After I then cleared my son of any wrongdoing on the battery issue, right? Then my suspicion is, well, maybe my former employer, this is their way of cutting me off. Maybe this is their way of locking out the laptop. But I don't think they did that. I think they would have given me a heads up that, oh, by the way, after such and such a date at such and such a time, your computers are going to no longer work. But it was such a weird series of events where first the battery goes, meaning... It's not able to take a charge, and then it is able to take a charge, but it won't turn on, which leads me to think there's something wrong with the computer itself. That would have happened anyway. Like, the computer problem would have happened eventually with, without the battery issue. Because I have that battery issue mm-hmm. with a couple of different laptops that I don't use a lot, that it stay plugged in and powering, and then all of a sudden I'll look at the battery, and it'll say, like, 
30% not charging, even though it's plugged in. And in that case, right. that's when you do actually have to take the battery out of the computer. And you actually have to delete the, uh, the property in the Windows that runs the battery and then plug it back in, and then it'll start working again. But it seems like your battery started working anyway. Right. It did. Right. And it was, which leads me to believe that this bootable problem probably would have happened anyway. So um, what would you do if you were me? If you can't get this to boot and you've done everything you can and and looked up everything, because that's what I do, right? and there's no disk drive, the only way is to actually get the drive out of it and put and, and get a readable. They have these disk drive readers that you actually plug in like an internal hard drive into the reader. So where do I go for that? One of these disk drives? I would go readers. online to the computer, one of the computer stores like um, Newegg.com is a big computer store online that sell these readers. That's the only way. And the other thing is you should be using Google Docs. You know, you're right about that. You're absolutely right about that. And I thought that, and I do use Google Docs for a lot of stuff, but I thought I was on safe ground because I back up these documents to my external hard drive so much. But sure enough, that uh, it didn't work. But yeah, you're not. This is not the first time that somebody has said use Google Docs, and uh, sure enough, my hubris got the better of me. And much like Icarus flying. Too close to the sun, my hard drive appears to be hosed. That's the that's the consensus over, from the, the experts. It's over. So, really irritating. I got to tell you, this has been a challenging show to do for all those. I don't mean to whine, but I have nobody else. And because I have nine pages of topics that I don't know what they say now, I don't know what I was slated to talk about at this particular time. <laughs> Um, 800-848-9222. You know, if you want to take a look at that, Kenneth, can you give Matt Blaze that computer? It's in Studio B. I brought it with me. It's fully charged, for what it's worth. Um, Maybe you can figure out a way to uh, get a Windows disk or something in there. I don't know. Joe and Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. I got two things. Um, one of, uh, about the computer, I had a similar situation on um, what you got to first do is you got to unplug the plug out of it and you got to hold down the power button for one minute. It's going to do a physical drain of the, um, computer, drain all the electricity out of it. It's, it's a, like, it's a restart. Okay. And then, um, most likely that's your problem. You unplug the plug. Don't have it physically plugged in anywhere, and you're going to hold the power button, your your power button, down for at least a minute. It totally drains all the electrical current as a computer, and then wait, you know, two, three minutes, plug it in, and it should reboot. Now, there's another thing you could do is when you, if you're getting the Dell screen, as soon as the Dell screen pops up. Right. You're going to say yeah. press F12 or F2 or F4 repeatedly? No, you hit F1. F1. And it's going to bring you to a menu screen, and it's going to say last time. Um, I think it says no. last no, time. It, it, no, the F1 option on this computer, the Dell Latitude, uh, the it, the F1 option reboots. The F2 brings you other other options 
Uh, but I did try that hold the power down situation, and it did nothing. It just brought me to that same screen uh, that uh, that uh, after that. But I appreciate the effort there. Thank you. John is in Freehold. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. Um, nine out of ten times, the all you got to do is just check the hard drive cable, open up the laptop, and just make sure the wire is plugged Well, in. how do I open up the laptop? How do I do that? With any screwdriver or something? Uh, yeah, depending on which uh, laptop it is. Just, uh, you yeah, it's it a Dell Latitude. So you could see the, so you see like the motherboard and everything internal. Just look at the wire from the hard drive and just take it out. If it's not plugged in, plug it in. If it's plugged in, take it out, push it back in. But it's a tiny Run little thing. Laptop. It almost looks like a, a tablet, right? I'm, I'm going to still be able to open it up and see the hard drive wire? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I will, I will, I will work on that. Uh, thank you. Uh, Matt Blaze, now that you're looking at that, well, is that, does that seem feasible to you to open that up and, and do that, uh, mess around with that hard drive wire? I mean, it can be done. I don't know how. I, I, because it, it's got like the soft keyboard. Right. Well, so you the, can take I, the keyboard off, you know, so, that's an a- a- accessory. So then the, the, um, that all the, the computer is in behind the screen. All right, of, right, right. So, which, how do I access that? I have no. I mean, there's obviously there's got to be a way, but I wouldn't have no idea how to do it. Right. So. There's got to be some small screws somewhere, yeah. and you, listen, you go on YouTube. I guarantee somebody will tell you exactly <laughs> how to take this computer apart. This is just terrible, terrible. Uh, and the know, message that it's get, giving me is the same thing that you got. I'm looking at it. it. Just says it's testing, but it says no hard drive found, and right. that's, that's it. I mean, once you can't find the hard drive, it's not going to do anything. This is running now off the motherboard, off the BIOS mm-hmm. inside the computer. It's not running off the hard drive at all because it can't find a hard drive. So the only way is to open it up. But we don't know how to open it up, right? That's what we'd have to figure out. Yeah. Well, who works here that can figure that out? I mean, there's some very technically inclined people that work. Dan, here. Rachel. Dan? What time do they get in? Rachel's usually here in the morning. All right. I'll ask them. This is just terrible. I've decided, I think, I don't care how much it costs. I'm going to buy, I think I'm going to buy my own laptop so that I'm not dependent on whatever laptop that they give me. And maybe it's my own fault that I've become so laptop dependent. You know, in the days when John Gambling was doing radio shows, he wasn't laptop dependent, right? So I have to. I'll, I, I'm gonna. I don't know. What is a laptop? It's like two thousand dollars. Is that how much it costs? Two thousand? Yeah. So no, it's cheaper than that. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, or, so, or get your sharpie out. Mm-hmm. Get your sharpies out and your blank paper. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. But um, it doesn't work as well for looking up things. So we'll see. I'll spend two thousand dollars that I don't have on a laptop, and then I'm also I'm for when I do have to connect remotely from home, which is. You know, which is not that often, but it's often enough that I like to have a good system. I'm going to buy um, a Comrex Access as well so um, so that I, I don't have to depend on this other laptop to do to do that aspect of things. So that's that's it. That's the my key takeaway from all this is I'm going to spend more money that I don't have to get a, a functioning laptop and to uh, to be able to do that. It's just it was just so frustrating. I spent my whole day on this yesterday, the whole day. Uh, from uh, aside from watching Carmine uh, and aside from the 45 minutes that I went outside, this was my entire day just wasted, wasted on all this stuff. 800-848-9222. Joe is in New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Uh, I think you're going to need a new Johnson rod. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Uh, you're probably right. That's what Putty said. Uh, Kevin in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. 
Yeah, Frank, you could always use that 2000 that you just got reimbursed from your credit card for that uh, new laptop. You well, I need that to pay my credit card bill. <laughs> I know, I'm only playing. But listen, during your denunciations, you talked about the ice cream place that mm-hmm. got fined. Did you say they got fined for not allowing cash? Yeah, well, what happened? Yes, because they um, they the, they violated the law. The law says you have to accept cash, and they didn't accept it. All right. Do they have that in Jersey? Do you know? Uh, I don't believe so. No. Uh, because I'm at Giant Stadium this summer at Elton John concert. I'm sitting in the second row, and I don't know if you know at Giant Stadium, you're sitting in the actual seats, not on the on the field. It's like a hundred stairs to get up to the top to where the concessions are. It was 90 degrees, and I walked all the way up those stairs to go get two beers for me and my wife, and I only had cash. I only carry cash. She has credit cards. I don't carry credit cards. They wouldn't accept it. Ah. And I, I, you know, I almost got arrested. I was so upset. I said, what do you mean you don't accept cash? They would not take it. I said, well, if I tip you, you take cash, right? She says, yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, I, I hate that. That's awful. That's awful. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I was so eager to have that conversation with Ralph Nader on this. Kevin, thank you. I'm sorry you went through that. And uh, I, that's why I think all these businesses, I can't even believe I have to say this in the 21st century. Every business should be required to take cash. They should take money. Um, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting, a Teenager, Learning the Lingo. Jelly. Jelly adjective. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that, but you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I don't know, dude. I think everybody's all jealous and Because I'm like the lead singer of the band, dude. And I think everybody's got a freaking problem with me, dude. And they need to take it up with me after the show. This is Eminem, who, uh, with when he, a band that he was part of called D12, singing uh, This Is My Band. This was uh, his version of, um, we, you know, this particular song. It's clever. It's not his typical song. He turned 50 years old this week. Can you imagine that? 50 years old. He is now eligible for AARP. All right, I had a bunch of stuff that I wanted to get to. We'll see if I get to any of it. By the way, so Liz Truss is out 
as the prime minister of the UK. Can you believe it? I um, this she is the shortest serving prime minister in history, and she has had a short, shorter tenure than any American president, with the exception of William Henry Harrison. So after it was clear that she was embattled for some of the economic program that she was, uh, you know, putting forward, they. <laughs> I, I hate to do this because I feel bad for her a little bit, but this is funny, you know. So what they did was they put on Twitter a photo of her and a photo of a head of lettuce, right? And they said, let's see which of these wilts first. Sure enough, the lettuce, she, she, the lettuce outlasted her. The head of lettuce beat her. So um, it's very, I don't know what's going to happen next for the U.K., they're now talking about, and it just goes to show you, you know, Frank McKay, who's now the president of uh, WABC on Long Island, Frank McKay used to tell me about politics because we used to run around in politics together and then separately at times. There's a whole history. I don't want to get into it right now. But he used to tell me, politically, if you ever don't like what's happening, just wait five minutes and things will change. And sure enough, Boris Johnson was a pariah a month ago. This guy, we were we, his political obituary was written. We did a segment of um, of comeback stories. What could Boris Johnson ever come back? What would he have to do to come back? He might be the prime minister again by next week if he could secure a hundred votes from the ministers in the Conservative Party. It's crazy. It could be a uh, comeback for Boris Johnson. It's incredible what is going on there. So she beat the uh, she beat the lettuce. It's also an interesting situation to um, watch what's happening in Los Angeles. I will um, maybe we'll play some of the audio from this Los Angeles City Council situation. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about that, but it is it is interesting. Um, we'll we'll get into it next hour, hopefully. Meantime, Francis is in New Jersey. Hello, Francis. Hey, how we doing, Frank? Um... What I always found to help me with situations that I can't figure out is I type in the the, the problem into YouTube, and most uh, nine out of ten times the information comes up, and somebody always has the same problem. Well, yeah, I, I did that, and I followed the instructions in the YouTube video, but it's still broken. It still has me at this same screen. Uh, I'm not taking any more laptop calls because it's honestly it's only depressing me. It's only depressing me. So. Um, I'll take some non-laptop calls as well. Uh, Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, hi, Frank. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I have a question for you, but the myocarditis is listed as a side effect on the shots. But my right, question so is, how many people have, how many children have died from it? Uh, well, that's debatable, but I want exactly. to ask you a, I, I want to ask you a question about uh, gambling. So for people that like... The I game or the this. person? No, no, gambling, for sports gambling. I used to, like, get the sporting news when I was in grammar school and follow the minor league baseball players, right, and see who came up and how, if they, you know, uh, were good in the, uh, you know, how they flow through. But would gambling, sports gambling ruin that if you, if you just had a purist, you know? 
I don't. I'm not sure I understand the... Yeah, the, in other words, like, does it ruin your love of, of oh, a sport? Oh, well, I, yeah, example? I think it does to some extent, Joe. It's one of the reasons I try not to bet much on sports. I'm in a little friendly football pool, but I don't really care if I win. I mean, you see how I make picks. Yes, I think it does. Certainly. All right. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank morano i have to say maybe i shouldn't have brought up the laptop thing but i can't help it i i bring up what's on my mind but i have to say again no need to call about this no need to keep emailing uh because i'm reading a lot of the the emails and, I, and i'm getting even more frustrated uh one person says you have to change from windows 10 you, if there's a problem with Windows 10, you have to get another Windows. And I want—I say to this person, how can I change from one Windows to another Windows if I can't even turn on the computer? I, it's beyond that. Yeah, no, I, I just, I don't understand. I mean, I don't understand why people don't get, you can't turn the computer on. So um, uh, our, our leader, John Katzmatidi, said to take it to the head IT people, even though this is not a, the, a computer they bought, he asked. He said that they're going to look at it. So that that's very great. He always comes through. Thank you. Uh, but no need to email me about this anymore. No need to call about this anymore because it's just now all sorts of people, both people that work here and people that are listening, are sending me recommendations to buy an Apple. I will not buy an Apple. I am not an Apple person. I can't. I can't adjust to the Apple language. My wife has an Apple. And whenever I try and type something, I'm all confused. I feel like I'm using a different language. Um, but uh, it is what it is. All right. 800-848-9222. We're going to get to your calls in just a minute. It is interesting. Speaking of my wife, she is beginning. She's leaving town today. She is going to Long Island with a friend of hers today. And that leaves Carmine and me. And uh, we're going to be home the whole weekend. Now, Carmine usually goes to bed around 7.30. And uh, I think that, um, you know, I'm probably going to manage to uh, be awake past 7.30, although who knows? I have kind of a a tricky schedule today. We'll see. But um, assuming I am awake past 7.30, I'm going to do something that I really can't do when my wife is home. Nothing untoward like that. No, I'm going to watch a uh, a horror movie because I really enjoy horror movies, especially around Halloween time. So they have a new version of uh, Halloween now. It's called Halloween Ends, and it's the third version of this 
Halloween, not the third version, it's the third film in this latest Halloween trilogy. Now, as I understand it, there have been, I think, five separate Halloween timelines. It, you know, so they just stop and start what they want to count and not count. But I saw the last two Halloween films, which this is a direct successor to. And this is not at all the kind of film that uh, my wife would want to watch. So that's that. So I'm going to do that on Friday. And she's going to be away Saturday night, too. So I may watch another horror movie on Saturday. And it's funny. I used to, I know these guys. These guys are friends of mine, the independent filmmakers. They made a film called uh, Terrifier 2. And, you know, they would always tell me that they were working on it. And I knew it was popular. But, you know, it's one of those things when someone you know is working on something, you almost view it as sort of a pet side project. Oh, oh, that's Jason's thing. That's Michael's thing. I've never heard of it before except when he's talked about it. It can't be that good, right? I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not proud of that attitude, but there's sort of a bias against people we know, right? Well, if, you, if your father does something really extraordinary, you almost dismiss it. Ah, that's just dad. But if a stranger does it, oh, or if you hear about it separately, oh, that's, that's something. So anyway... They're involved in this production of this film, these friends of mine, called Terrifier 2. And I have been reading about it all over the press. I brought it up with Marlena Shriva when she was here. Actually, she brought it up. The New York Post did an article about this picture. It's in theaters now. And sure enough, it is apparently very gory, very gory, a a really gory slasher pick. And... um. I could deal with a certain amount of gore, but this film is apparently so gory that, I mean, it's more gory than Al Gore. It's so gory that it's causing people to faint in the theater. It's causing people to throw up in the theater. And this has all been reported in the press. And because people are fainting and throwing up, that's only fed into this film's uh, legend. So this film was a $250,000 budget, Terrifier 2. So far, it has grossed about $2.5 million. This is a film that was uh, funded basically through crowdsourcing, through uh, Kickstarter or something. And so I'm listening to another radio show the other day, and they're talking about this same film, Terrifier 2. So I, and they're going on and on about the villain in Terrifier 2. It was a fellow by the name of Art the Clown. Now, I didn't see the first Terrifier. But I'm thinking, look, my friends made this picture. Everybody's talking about this picture. It's Halloween. I only have two days where I'm going to be home by myself without my wife. And obviously I can't go out because I have to stay home with my son. I'm thinking I should probably see Terrifier, the first one, so that I can see Terrifier 2. So my plan for tonight is to watch the latest Halloween film. But I was listening to another radio program, and they're going on and on about how the killer in Terrifier, this Art the Clown, is one of the scariest movie villains in history. And it got me thinking, there are some scary movie villains out there in in, in history. You have, obviously, Freddy Krueger from The Nightmare on Elm Street. You have Chucky from the Child's Play movies. Pennywise that clown from the Stephen King It movies. You have, uh, you know, uh, the leprechaun 
He's pretty freaky. You have, um, obviously, Jason and, of course, Michael Myers from the Halloween movies. And it got me wondering who is, in any horror movie franchise, who is the scariest villain in any franchise? Doesn't have to be a slasher film. Doesn't have to be a gory film like Terrifier 2. But if you were to pick of all the horror movie villains out there, who would you say is the scariest and why? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222 if you have a pick. I just looked this up online, and it's, I was surprised that it said that Michael Myers, the villain in the Halloween pictures, was only number 13. I mean, I would have thought he would have ranked much higher. So I'm curious who you think is the scariest and why. Uh, there, there are some scary villains out there, right? Um, and I, I don't pretend to have seen all of these. And the fact that my wife doesn't watch horror movies really means that I don't get to watch them that much anymore. Not that I don't get to, but I, if we're going to wa- have an evening together where I get to watch a movie, I prefer to watch something that she's willing to watch. And she has a very, very low tolerance for these horror movies. So my plan is Friday night seeing the Halloween film and uh, Saturday night, assuming, um, you know, I'm not in IT help hell trying to get my laptop fixed, then I am going to seriously consider watching the first Terrifier, which will sort of pave the way for me watching the second one. Unless someone comes up with a stronger recommendation uh, or a, a more inspiring idea for a Halloween picture or a scary film, a horror movie that I should watch. So I, I am curious, who do you think is the scariest villain in the history of cinema and why? 800-848-9222. You know, villains like Michael Myers and Jason and um, Sean Cunningham, who created the Friday the 13th franchise, he... Has made, he made no bones about the fact that Friday the 13th was just a total ripoff of Halloween. They make no bones about that, and you can kind of see that. But to me, the scariest villains are guys like that, that don't say anything, that they just go around and kill. Um, villains that make wisecracks and are telling jokes, they're entertaining, right? But... I don't find them as scary. Uh, Folks like Chucky, the Leprechaun, Freddy Krueger, or uh, even the Ghostface in uh, the Scream films. You know, they're always so clever. They're always so sarcastic. They're always so quick-witted. To me, that makes them a um, a little less scary. But if you're just going to be a Michael Myers or a Jason and you're just walking around and you see the their point of view from inside a mask or something along those lines, and they're just killing people? To me, that's pretty frightening. And I think that's how Art the Clown is in in Terrifier, but I haven't seen it, so I can't I can't really say. All right, uh, give me your pick. Scariest villain and why? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. You can also um, find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Uh, somebody just found me on Twitter, Dan, and writes, um, 
Halloween ends so disappointing. Frank, be warned. I'm not, I don't have high expectations. Let me be clear. Uh, I'm not, I, I've seen all the other Halloween films. How do I not see this one, right? Uh, so uh, this person says, watch Trick or Treat if you never saw. I did never see that. So I will, uh, I will check that one out. But I remember years ago, my mom is really into horror movies. That's where I kind of got it from. She would have me watch horror movies at a very young age. Probably far too young, but it didn't do anything to me, I don't think. Probably it did, but I'm not cognizant enough to know what it was. But um, I remember years ago, she was watching the sequel to I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. And uh, I said, oh, I didn't even realize that you had seen the first one. And she said, oh, no, I didn't. This is the first one I saw. And uh, I said, well, what are you, how are you following the story? And she said, and she's exactly right. She said, what are you talking about? It's just people getting killed. That's the, that is the story. And so uh, I, uh, I don't think I would be lost if I started with Terrifier 2. But I, with Halloween ends, that's all I'm expecting is people being murdered. 800-848-9222, that's the question. Who is the scariest horror movie villain and why? Tom, Tom, who do you think the scariest horror movie villain is? You ever see a movie called The Strangers? I don't think so. What is that about? Yeah, so, well, you know, the, Liv Tyler's in it, and Liv Taylor, and they're in a uh, cabin, and it's really creepy. I, I don't know if the horror people have a name, but it's like the scariest movie I've ever seen. It's it's really terrifying, really creepy. I, I really recommend it. It's uh, called The Strangers? Ever, the Strangers, huh. yeah. Okay, and is there yeah. one main villain in it? No, there's a couple, right? It's just it's just people getting terrorized in a cabin um, out in the woods by themselves. Uh, the music is really creepy, and, and just, you know, they, they get into the house, and the, the, the angles of the cameras are just, it's really, uh, and I've seen a lot of horror movies, and this is, this takes the cake. This uh. is, and if you watch it alone, and <laughs> I watch it alone in a cabin, so... It's it's really creepy. Oh, that's cool. I, really I like, like that. I'll check it out. The Strangers. I'm going to write this down. I don't have a computer to save this document in, but I will write it down on a piece of paper. The Strangers. Okay. Um, you know what also I do find very, very uh, chilling? The Psycho franchise. Obviously, everybody has been every, – a lot has been written about the original Psycho and the shower scene, and that's been emulated so many times, and that movie broke so much ground and was such a cinematic masterpiece, especially for a horror movie. But the sequels, which were not as good, I I don't think anyone would disagree with that, and don't have that Hitchcockian brilliance, the sequels, I find, they're a little campy, but I find them enjoyable. And I, I think Norman Bates... Is a pretty scary villain. 800-848-9222. In the history of horror cinema, we could go back to Dracula, could go back to Nosferatu. In the history of horror cinema, who's the scariest villain and why? My contention is it's always the villains that don't talk. Because there's just something so much more frightening about knowing you could get killed at any time. Whereas if somebody is, you know, joking around before they kill you, eh, I mean, obviously you'd rather be alive than dead, but it's not as scary. 
David is in New Jersey. Hello, David. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, obviously, Michael Myers certainly uh, qualifies, and I wanted to mention a title of uh, the movie Phantasm with the Tall Man. If anyone has ever seen that movie, especially when you saw it as a kid, it's pretty darn intimidating. You know, he says a few words, unlike Michael Myers, but a, a seven-foot-tall mortician running around in the daytime chasing a 10-year-old boy, and everyone's oblivious, along with a bunch of... Uh, Floating security ball Cuisinart's, it's pretty darn intimidating. If you guys, anyone listening ever sees it, I think you'll enjoy it. Give me, give me the title. You. Give us the title again, David. Uh, Phantasm, the original Phantasm. from the 70s. Okay. Thank you, David. 800-848-9222. Tom, who is the scariest villain in all of horror movie cinema? <laughs> Hi, Frank. Good morning. Long time no speak. I wasn't going to comment on that, but I did have some uh, horror movie recommendations if you have the opportunity over the weekend. And I think we discussed this briefly last year at the same time. I don't know if you got the chance to see these, but my recommendations for you and anyone and everyone are Carnival of Souls uh, from 1962, black and white, great photography, B-horror movie, you'd probably love it. Um, The Innocence. Black and white, 1962 British film with Deborah Carr and Michael Redgrave. That's fantastic. You really, you must see that. And I think Rachel would like it too. It's not oh, a she's not going to watch it. She's not going to okay. watch it. No, oh. she gets scared very, very easily. Thank you, Tom. And again, I'm not necessarily looking for horror movie recommendations. We did that last year, right? And I think every show kind of do, does that. What I'm looking for is a case to be made, a case for you to make as to who the scariest villain is in any horror movie and why. 800-848-9222. Billy is in Queens. Hello, Billy. Frank, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. That goes without saying. Nobody was was a better villain than him. Yeah, uh, so I, I love that picture, obviously. Great, really well done as far as horror movies go, even though I, I think Stephen King was unhappy with it. But tell me why you think um, that character is the scariest villain in the history of horror movies. Because that was like the only movie I could, where you've seen the guy transform mm-hmm. into a scary person. Like, right? It's it just the transformation. Like, this guy was a regular, you know, he's a writer, sitting behind a typewriter. That, that movie was brilliant. I don't, even, I don't even watch horror movies, really, so I can't, you know, Jason and all that stuff. I don't, I'm not into that, but he was, he was, that was brilliant. Yeah, no, he was good. Uh, a masterful performance by Jack Nicholson, that is for sure. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Sophia is in Brooklyn. Hello, Sophia. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, I, I'm sorry, I think I might have called too soon. I don't have a character, a scary character, but there were two uh, uh, two movies when I was a teenager that totally, totally crippled us. My friend and I went to see them. Uh, to, uh, don't uh, the house, the last house on the left. Oh. Don't look down the basement. Oh yeah. We were we were we were teenagers, young, right? We went to Avenue U, and on the way out, we were crippled with fear. I mean, we couldn't even get on the subway to go back home. We went to the Chinese restaurant next door and waited for her, my friend's uncle to pick us up. It was so... Uh, it cured me. I don't think I ever I ever watched another horror movie. Yeah, that is, that, is, that is not just scary. That is, was, that is disturbing. Uh, but, that, Frank, two, two more points I want to 
Mm-hmm. I I did work on a horror film back in the I think late seventies, uh, Mother's Day. I was a, a background artist on that. That was, you know, it was also a very but that was like sure, uh, uh, yeah. So that was a joke compared to the other two. And I came to America on Halloween, nineteen fifty seven, oh, Halloween really? day. Wow. Yeah, we get off the boat and. You know, all these, I was too too little, I don't remember, but the stories, you know, uh, from my siblings, like you see all these ghosts and goblins running around, what we must have thought, right? <laughs> this is America. <laughs> but, so those two horror movies, if you have, like, I wouldn't recommend your wife ever see them. No, 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 no she won't. Play, play, oh, she, she, even if there's a commercial for a horror movie on, she has to leave the room. She she can't handle it. Thank you, Sophia. Um by the way, please, and I know everybody's well-intentioned, stop emailing me with recommendations to buy an Apple. Chris Libertini, who works here, just sent me uh, a, a recommendation for a $2,000 Apple. Now, I'm going to probably have to get a new laptop. I'm not getting an Apple. When I try to use one of these Apple computers, it really is like I'm speaking a different language. You know what it reminds me of? You ever see that family guy where Stewie is old and he's trying to figure out how to work Skype and he just has no idea how to work Skype? This is a pretty good approximation of what it's like to have me use any Apple product. What is this? It's a Skype. A Snike? No, a Skype. Snipe? No, it's a Skype from your grandson. Steven? Yes, he's right there trying to say hi to you. What movie is this? <laughs> it's not a movie. It's your grandson. My grandson is in the pictures? You did this yesterday. <laughs> don't holler at me. I don't understand anything. I'm very frightened. That is, with there's no Steven involved, that is a pretty good approximation of every time Rachel asks me to do something on her computer. Every single time. It's some version of that. 800-848-9222. But Last House on the Left, that was one of those films, very disturbing, the original, and so was the remake, also very disturbing. You, you know, everybody, I think, knows the uh, Jason franchise, Friday the 13th. Everybody knows the Freddy Krueger franchise, Nightmare on Elm Street. Before Jason, before Freddy Krueger, the founders of both of those franchises... Wes Craven, who created Freddy Krueger, and Sean Cunningham, who created Jason, they collaborated on a picture. And the picture they collaborated on, Last House on the Left. And I think that was the only picture they collaborated on until they did Freddy versus Jason. So um, it's very scary. I mean, and and it's not just, uh, as I, I keep saying, it's not just scary, it's disturbing. It's the kind of film that gives you nightmares. And it was brilliantly marketed. You know, that that was the one where they had the trailer playing where it always talks, it always says, um, you know, just keep repeating to yourself, it's only a movie, it's only a movie. It was very cleverly done, but um, the remake was too. Christine is in Manhattan. Hello, Christine. Hi, how are you? Great. I was thinking about two movies that freaked me out. The first time I saw it, I was terrified. That was Night of the Living Dead. And that was really, really creepy. And the other one I like is the Blob. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you would you characterize the the Blob as the scariest uh, movie villain? 
Well, yes, in a way, because it oozes around. It can come out of anywhere, and there's no way to destroy it. And there's nowhere to be safe from it. It creeps and slithers and oozes. Right. It's like the song says. It uh, glides and slides across the wall. That's about it. It comes up out of the drains when you're not expecting it. That's true. It's all over the place. Thank you. And again, please, if you know, you don't necessarily have to call in with a movie recommendation because I, I, I'm not going to be able to watch them because I have basically two nights left to watch horror movies. And one night I've already decided which one I'm going to watch, and the other night I'm leaning towards what I'm going to watch. What I'm basically interested in is the psychology of fear. Why are certain movie villains scarier than others? What is the scary? Who is the scariest villain in the history of cinema, and why? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Barbara is on Staten Island. Hello, Barbara. Hello. Uh, how about Misery with Kathy Bates? So you think because, she's the scariest villain? Yes, because it was so, it could happen to anybody. She was so realistic. You know, like Frankenstein and all, you know, you know, that's fantasy. But Kathy Bates <laughs> could happen to anybody. But somebody just, she's so nice at one minute and the next minute she's really crazy. Yeah, no, 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 that's, uh, she is scary. She is scary. That's a good one. Uh, Patrick in Bridgeport, who is the scariest villain in the history of cinema? I don't know about the history, but one of the spookiest ones is the uh, the critter from Jeepers Creepers. You know, I don't think I ever saw Jeepers Creepers. And what makes well, the critter so he's, scary? He's pretty damn spooky. He's big as hell. Uh, you don't know if he's like uh, where he's from, what he is. You can't tell. And uh, if he if he wants you, he's going to get you. He wants your body parts. Specific body parts. <laughs> well, that sounds pretty scary. Mike on Staten Island. Well, who is the scariest villain in the history of cinema? Oh, being you, you uh, gave room for non-slasher type movies. I always found the most realistic movies uh, really frightening, like The Devil's Rejects and The Hills Have Eyes. And it, who is the villain in The Hills Have Eyes? Well, there's three mutants. Uh, supposedly, it's New Mexico. They're mutants from the, you know, the bombings when they were testing the bombs in New Mexico. Okay. And uh, the Devil's Rejects, there were three guys terrorizing uh, two couples, two married couples. And so in and both of those cases, realistic. you think that those villains are scary because that's a more realistic depiction than a typical horror film? Correct. Okay. All right. That's a good reason. That's a good reason. Mikey in Brooklyn, scariest villain and why? Who is it and why? Oh, my God. It was the Creeper. <laughs> From Jeepers Creepers? No, I don't know if it was Jeepers. No, not Jeepers Creepers. This was the Creeper who uh, lurked, I think. I was too young to understand it. or I, I, It scared the hell out of me. But uh, <laughs> it was... <laughs> It was about someone or a guy who would, like, uh, creep up on people uh, out of the dock or out of the alleyways or whatever, you know? I, I uh, well, Yeah, I haven't seen that picture. But uh, to me, the scariest uh, scariest villain is, is somebody that would leave their radio on while calling a radio show. I mean, those are the people that you really, that, that give me nightmares. Brandon in New Jersey. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm great, Brandon. Uh, tell me, scariest villain in the history of cinema, who is it and why? 
Uh, Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That is a great one. Why do you think he's so scary? Uh, well, similar to what you're saying, he really doesn't say anything, but, you know, you're stranded in a place you don't know, and basically the the whole town is protecting him. Uh, you know, there's really no way to get away from him. That is a good one. And, you know, I believe, if I remember correctly, the murders, the real-life murders that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based on, I think, are the same murders that Psycho is based on. I think. I could be... I could I stand to be corrected on that, but I believe I am correct. Tony in Florida, who is the scariest villain in the history of cinema and why? The original Frankenstein, because all I had to do was look at him and I was terrified. So because he looked scariest, he was the scariest. Yeah, and then, you know, of course he acted scary, but he was the creepiest monster ever. And the Night of the Living Dead that one person mentioned, that's another good one, the original one. And um, I think the older black and white ones, for whatever reason, scare me more than anything. Yeah, a lot of them are great. And Thank you, Tony. I never found Frankenstein's monster that scary. For the same reason I never really found the Wolfman that scary. Because, meaning the like the Lon Chaney Wolfman. I'm not talking about a werewolf in other pictures, like uh, an American werewolf in uh, in London or something like that. Because the impression I got with Frankenstein's monster is that he had a heart, and even though he was uh, he had an abnormal brain, even though that he was assembled from a lot of parts from horrible people and so forth. I found that what he was looking for was really to be loved. And, you know, obviously it was terrible what he did to that little girl that they were doing the daisies with. But I think he did that mostly out of naivete and um, stupidity, not because he really wanted to hurt people. I never felt that Frankenstein's monster was scary, even though the villagers were scared of him. I viewed that more as a statement about them and their prejudice more than about how scary Frankenstein's monster is. I always thought Frankenstein's monster was very, I found him to be a very sympathetic character because he's always controlled by people. He's controlled by Dr. Frankenstein. He's controlled by Dracula, depending on the picture. He he just wants friends, right? And uh, I never found him to be scary. Jason. Michael Myers, those guys are heartless. They'll kill you as soon as look at you. 800-848-9222. Karen in Baltimore. Who do you think is the scariest villain and why? Vincent Price. You can't forget him in The Tingler. The black and white films, you kind of have to use your imagination on people's expressions and on the gore that's going on. And Vincent Price had that stone face with those expressive eyes, and he had the low tone to his voice that just made you tingle and shiver. All right. Well, that's a good one. I've seen the tingler. He is scary. Let's do one more here, and then we'll do the uh, $1,000 minute. Uh, Michael in New Jersey. What do you have for us, Michael? Hey, Frank. Uh, Hannibal Lecter for me. Was oh, pretty, um, that is a up. good one. What makes him so scary? He's he's ruthless. He doesn't have any pain. He just, he, I mean, he cut the face off a guy to put a face on himself. He knocked out all the, 
the security people and just clubbed them to death. Uh, he was just he was he was on a mission. He wasn't going to be deterred from it. And he was just seemingly unstoppable. You know, and he makes that sound. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah, yeah. Th- that is a scary, a scary sound. And you know what else is scary about about Anthony Hopkins and Hannibal Lecter is that he's British. You know, it, it does it does really. There's something a little colder. No, no offense about the British. They are a little scarier. You know, what, you think about it. Would Doctor Lecter have been as scary if he had like a Texas accent? Or a or a or a, or a new Cajun Louisiana accent. I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. Um, though, if you those of you that are holding, if you want to keep holding, you're welcome to. But we are going to play the thousand dollar minute in just a moment, where we'll give you an opportunity to answer ten trivia questions in sixty seconds. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Be the seventh caller to eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two, and uh, you'll answer ten trivia questions in sixty seconds. You do it correctly. You win $1,000. Simple as that. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Gosh, y'all get up. How'd they get so lit up? Gosh, y'all get up. How'd they get that size? Golly gee. When you turn those heaters on. Oh, is me. Got to put my heaters on. Jeepers, creepers. Where'd you get those creepers? Oh, this is the creepers. other side of midnight with you for another 20 minutes or so. And uh, we will um, be back on Monday with, see, uh, let's see, let me see if I can access our calendar for Monday. We got some interesting things planned for next week. Uh, Some interesting things going into Halloween week where we're going to explore some aspects of uh, paranormal and, uh, you, you know, talking with the dead and ghosts, some good stuff. But first, let's try and give away some money as part of... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Uh, Vito. Oh, no, you're not. You're not. You're not there. George in Patterson, New Jersey. Hello, George. Hello. George, How are you, Frank? I'm well, thank you. Are you familiar with this contest? I am. I, I played about a month ago. I missed on Harper Lee. Harper Lee. Okay. All right. Is he eligible to uh, – he's eligible, right, Matt Plays? If he wins, I don't want any controversy. Yes, it was over a month ago. Well, over a month Almost ago. two months okay. ago, actually. All right. Uh, so now, George, you might be in luck because the questions that I had carefully curated and crafted are on my old laptop, which we cannot access so I had to whip up 10 questions right before the show, and I have a feeling these questions, with the exception of question number 10, I have a feeling these questions might be a little easier than usual. Okay, you ready to go? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. How many letters does the word dog have? Three. What is the largest city in the United States of America? New York City. On Sesame Street... Who lives in a trash can? Is that the Grouch? 
We'll take it. Oscar the Grouch. What team are the New York Yankees currently playing in the American League Championship Series? The hated Astros. What year was Pearl Harbor attacked by the Japanese? 1941. In the Old Testament, who built the ark? Noah. What is a baby goat called? A you. Ah, uh, no, I'm sorry. A baby goat is a kid. A kid. Uh, a you is a female sheep. Uh, so you were in the right, you definitely were, you're, you're in the right farm. You're right church, wrong you, as it were, George. Um, hang on, I'm going to um, put you on with Kenneth. Hopefully he'll uh, be able to give you a consolation prize of some sort. And uh, we'll, it'll be something enjoyable. Um, and we'll see what it is. Now, uh, 800-848-9222, if you want to comment on anything we have covered today, uh, today. You know what today is? Today is actually National Apple Day. I love apples. And I'm, I'm going to have an apple today. i got news for you. It's also Celebration of the Mind Day. I don't know what that means, Celebration of the Mind. How, how do you do? I think that's a little silly. And uh, today is also Back to the Future Day. I'm not sure why it's Back to the Future Day. I don't know if this is the day in the film where they went back to 1955 or whether they did something else. Maybe it was. But um, I'm a big fan of the Back to the Future film series. So uh, I'm I'm all for celebrating that. Today also is uh, the the birthday of one of my favorite court officers, Lisa Hacker. And if you see a very... Very pretty blonde court officer on Staten Island in state Supreme Court. It is probably Lisa. Wish her a happy birthday. And uh, David Eisenbach, who's been a guest on this show before, a Columbia University professor, a historian. He ran for public advocate. It, um, you know, it's his birthday today as well. Marie Samuels, the wife of Bill Samuels. It is her birthday and um, a bunch of other interesting people. Uh, Dizzy Gillespie, it would have been his birthday today. And Benjamin Netanyahu, who is trying again to become the prime minister in a couple of weeks. It's his birthday today, 77 years old. And, uh, oh, oh, someone that a lot of you would love to be the president, Kim Kardashian. Her birthday today. She's uh, she's 42. So, uh, so there you go. Happy birthday to everybody that's celebrating. Now couple of other things. Um, one, I was told that our French listener, Naomi, had stopped by the radio station before and dropped off cookies for us, French cookies, or as they call them, biscuits. But yet I came in here. I didn't see them. Yeah, they're here. Where are they? They're in the other studio. I saw them before and I was like, what is this stuff? So somebody opened them. Well, that's fine. I mean, they opened the box. I think I don't know if they opened the cookie boxes, but they're. I did see them in there. Where are they in Studio B? Yeah. Did you try one? No, I did not. All I didn't right. open them up. But they're here. Yeah, there's All a bunch right. well, of different boxes. Thank you to boxes. Naomi for uh, for getting those biscuits. Now, um, did you try the did you try the pizza today? I did. It was uh, it was okay. It was okay. That is a great right? description. I had a slice. What an adventure it was getting this pizza. Okay. <laughs> so uh, let me tell you. So I'm happy. My my one, I I don't have really the the money to give bonuses to our staff here, but they all, 
do a great job. So the one thing I, I try to do on Fridays is I'll spring for pizza, create sort of a festive mood on Fridays for everybody, lets everybody know that it's Friday, puts it in a Friday mentality. Now, um, I have no problem paying for the pizza. It's, it's great. Don't mind doing it at all. And we even make special non-pizza arrangements for um, Kenneth, who's dairy-free as he awaits his modeling contract. And um, unfortunately, one of the things that does happen is that, you know, on Fridays in general, it's a very frenzied atmosphere here. Now, that's under usual circumstances, but it was doubly so today because I had to redo all of my work because there's no computer. So anyway, one of the things that I often ask is for either Alex or Kenneth to go and retrieve the pizza when it arrives. So that happened today. And Alex said in words or substance, because he has to run the um, the board for another show that's on earlier, he said, all right, as soon as we go to break, I'll run down. Great. So then, um, you know, I hear some commercials. So I figure, all right, we're at break. And I don't really think anything of it. And then, um, then... Minutes go by, another like 10 minutes, and then Alex tells me that he went down there and the guy left. So I call this guy on the same phone number that he called me from. I said, hey, where are you? And uh, he said, well, we had to go. No one came down. I said, why didn't you leave it with Omar at the front desk? Oh, he says, we're not allowed to do that. Well, why aren't you allowed to do that? So lo and behold... Um, I had to then call the pizzeria and try to get them to resend this order. I had to get on the phone with the Slice app people that we use to order this and say that if they're not going to send us our pizza back, that they should refund us our money. And I know they weren't going to do that. So they sent us our pizza. It was totally cold by the time it came back. So I think that did hinder our um our enjoyment of it but uh it was really just i think we were victims of circumstance in terms of in terms of letting it languish and then it went back and forth from here to half a mile away so i think that's probably why it was because we've ordered from this pizza shop before and they're usually a little better you have anything to add i I thought you were just gonna come in and say something about me like not getting it when I said I was going to get it. That's why I. That's well, why no, I came you're in. You're busy. Here. I yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, you're working. Good. You can't for make, once. Uh... For once, there isn't a you know uh, a snide remark attached to something. You like... see, he's he's already waiting for well, you I to do. make it about him. Very insecure. I tell you, uh, you know, <laughs> I am very insecure. It's already, it's already about him. I'm not going to begrudge you not dropping every. I mean, it's your pizza. I don't care. You know, it's. Uh, I'm not going to begrudge you dropping everything in the middle of a live radio show to go in and uh, get the pizza. I will say though, um, it, there if there was one staffer, one, not like other shows have three, four, five, one staffer that was specifically earmarked to just working on this show in the hours before that it airs then we wouldn't have to worry about like going to commercial break for other things. I mean, I think that's a, I think that's that's a fair, fair point. point. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, but that's okay. That's okay. My, my definition of a productive radio staff is one that just leaves me alone. 
right? That's all that I'm looking for. So it is what it is. So uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add? How did you find the pizza? It was good. I mean, if yeah, if you reheated it, it tasted great. Did you try one of those cookies, the French cookies that Naomi dropped off? No, I didn't even see that there were cookies. Yes. Well, apparently Matt Blaze knows where they are. So. Oh. I do. Well, good for you. Very good. All right. Um, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Alex. Carry on. Um, by the way, what's the name of uh, your song? Uh, lethal, lethal, lethal sleep, lethal sleep. Uh, lesbian dance theory, uh, very appropriate come uh, Halloween. So, hey, do we have our normal post show meeting today? As far as I'm aware, we do. We do. Okay. The timing of that meeting, I do not know, but there was a text sent that we do have a meeting today. W- w- I didn't get a text. Oh, I got a text. It was what? only sent to, I guess, to me, Alex, and, and Ken. <laughs> Why would I not get this text? I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound self-important here, but I think I'm integral to this meeting. Um, Excuse me, where are the cookies? Excuse me. <laughs> Deb's there looking for cookies. cookies. Yeah, well, you could there are where, where have you hidden them, Blaze? I didn't hide them. I Obviously, saw them in that did. other studio. Oh, the other studio. Now, yeah, where you hid them. <laughs> Which well, maybe, studio might uh, that be? The other one. Oh. You know, that uh-huh. other studio. Yeah, uh-huh. let us know how they are, Deb. Yeah, let us know, because they're from France, apparently. Yep. From France. They yes. are. I, on, on Monday, when I bring donuts, they're going to be hidden in the other That's studio. That's right. You tell <laughs> oh, me, and you, you tell me. I'm in trouble. Those are After be... I complimented Deb on the early news sweatshirt that she's wearing today, if you haven't noticed. Well, I mean... Now I'm she getting didn't yelled design at. the sweatshirt. But I'm getting yelled at it. about cookies. Yeah, I didn't take the cookie. I just saw them in there. All right. You, but anyway. The, you're yeah, starting was, to get awfully defensive well, in the Alex was, Barnard vein of uh, There of was a, a text, and it says, we'll be in to meet tomorrow. All right. Okay. So that's, uh, so that's my schedule today. So we're probably going to have this meeting around 7. And then uh, I will just uh, – basically, I'm going to plan to pace and – complain about my laptop until 7 a.m. Eastern. And then um, we'll have the post-show meeting, go home, I'll sleep for an hour or two, and then I am slated to play racquetball with my friend Nick uh, because he's very eager. He's one of these fellas that is always giving one more invitation, one more invitation. And I want to play, you know, because I'm interested in getting better at racquetball, and I have gotten into such poor shape that whenever there's an opportunity to exercise even a little bit, I'd like to take that opportunity to exercise. So I'll play some racquetball. Uh, after hope, uh, I'm hoping it's a brief meeting. I'll have a nap. And then um, Rachel is leaving for Long Island, leaving me with Carmine this afternoon. And then we'll watch uh, this Halloween movie. So we'll see how that goes. All right. 800-848-9222 if you want to come. We'll do 15 seconds of fame in just a minute. But first, uh, Leo on the Upper West Side has been holding a while. What's on your mind, Leo? Uh, good morning, Frank. Uh, the horror movies. Uh, the movie Strangers about the cabin, uh, there is not really character, but uh, it's like a devil which one person after another is getting possessed. It's moving, and at the moment where the person is possessed, turns into the character, where turns the eyes up. You can see just the white and eyes start making a high-pitched noise, and the movement of the body are like a crampy, like St. Vitus dance. Oh, it, Leo, tell, me the, tell me the picture again. The character is the butcher from the French comedy, black comedy slash horror delicatessen. He looks like Danger, Rodney Dangerfield, 
with a knife killing people, feeding another people. That's post. But, but the film is called Delicatessen. Movie. Delicatessen, French movie, post-apocalyptic uh, movie where the butcher have always advertisement in newspapers hmm. that he's looking for doorman. Ah, and okay. he's getting new doormats and chopping them in pieces and feeding people with that meat. Thank you, Leo. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend. You know, I was looking at this list online. They say the second scariest villain in the history of horror cinema is uh, Pennywise, the killer, the dancing clown from it. And they say the first, I never saw this picture, so it may they may be right. They say the first is Death from Final Destination. So I never saw Final Destination. I'm told it's pretty scary, but I can't. I can't really speak to that. All right, uh, you didn't like it. I don't like that li- being death. Do you, you, you know what Final Destination is? No, I never saw it. You never saw any of them. There's like a bunch of them. Never saw. It. It's about like this event happens, this big catastrophe, and then the person wakes up, and it's they have the premonition of what happens, but then they try to stop it from happening, but then they die in another way. So that's what they're saying, like, death is the character. Uh-huh. Okay, and you don't buy that. Well, there's no way to stop it is, what I guess, why they're saying it's the scariest. I just don't buy it as a character in that way. All right. You're, I would say Freddy. You're awfully critical today. You think Freddy is the scariest character in history? I would say in the first Nightmare on Elm Street, because before they made him a comedian, it was scary because he kills you in your dreams. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, there's, you know what, um... Okay, that is pretty scary. Can't take anything away from that. We'll do 15 seconds of fame in a minute. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds, give us a call. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Um, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. You know what also kills me about this laptop? I had on my internet browser, and maybe I can recreate this if I log on to Gmail from another computer or something. I had on my internet browser on that computer 30 or 40 different tabs open on my internet of articles that I wanted to read. And I'm never going to be able to recreate those. It was just so nice to have them there, and I read, I'll finish something, and I'll go back and read an article. Finish one, read an article. Those are all articles that I want to read. And you know what I feel like? I feel like Sarek when he doesn't realize that uh, Spock has uh, given his Katra to McCoy, and he says to Kirk in Star Trek Three, everything he knew, everything he was is gone. That's the way I feel. I feel like I had this artificial intelligence repository, and now it's gone. All right, without further ado, it's time for The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike! Good morning, Frank. So sorry to hear about your laptop woes. Perhaps Jason or Michael Myers killed your laptop. All kidding aside, I hope it recovers. E. Frank. Yes, uh, Frank, I'm not too scared of the clown from it, but whenever I go trick-or-treating, on Halloween, and I'm watching Halloween 1, Halloween 2, Canadian Halloween 2, and Halloween 3, and Halloween 5. I wonder what why Michael Myers doesn't retire from StabbyTB.org. Joe! 
I want to wish a very happy birthday to my mom in heaven. It's been 15 years. She would have been 82 today. Happy birthday, mom. A shout out to Mike from Palm Beach and Frankie from Glendale. All right. That's Slams the Lid on things for today. We'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Frank Morano. Good day.